Gentlemen, this female is clearly afflicted with horrendous psychic damage. It can only have resulted from this cosmosphere being exploited for nefarious purposes. But with the power of science, we can root out the damage. Our apparatus is ready. Our electric instruments are charged. Our reactor is running. And our power bill will bankrupt a country. Madam, will you let science cure your ailment? Sure, I guess. I've totally been feeling mega hungover lately, so, like, this should help me. Oh, man, this potato vodka has no taste. I guess I gotta drink more. Our gadgets and thingamabobs are showing that the psychic damage actually predates the abuse of the Cosmosphere. Fascinating! Science never fails! Yes, the reams of data from deep within the subconscious are displaying things the subject has buried for years. Her age is much greater than has been admitted. The wonders of science breaking down barriers. The power of science will force her secret into the open. What is this man to you? He's my son. My brother. He's my son. He's my brother. He's my brother and my son. Gentlemen, this project is hereby closed down under the label of too much information. No one can open it under pain of being forbidden from the lab. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Three, two, one. RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Meeky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack number 94. Al, as Minky, you wrote this, you say it. <laughs> Thank you. This is the RPG Backtrack where we talk about your favorite RPGs all the way back from the 80s right up through yesteryear. I am your co-host Phil Willis and this is... Didn't I just say that I'm here? Do I have to say who I am again? Yeah, that's what the that's what the email I got from our commander in chief from eight years ago said that we had to say our names. No, sir. No, sir. Matter for right. identification. That's right. Present and identification. Sergeant at Arms Mike Mickey reporting for duty. Shut. You are relieved. <laughs> at ease. At ease. Yeah, there you go. And let's see what other sergeants and privates and commanders we have joining us today. First up, under the secret guise of Scott Wakamater, is Ms. Sam Marshmallow. So does that make me a sergeant or a private? You're both in one, I guess, because your name says Scott, but you're really Sam. I have a high-ranking position at RP Gamer, so wouldn't I be at, like, the top of the sergeant. Oh, oh yeah, I'll take it. There you go. I'm not too good with those army ranks. Uh, you know, growing up watching uh, Star Trek and my father in the Navy, I'm really good at those things, though. 
Well, well, since we're still with enlisted ranks, I think we better stick with that because otherwise we bring officers into it. We don't want to do that. Yay, officers! All right. Well, let's go to our petty chief officer, Mister Michael Apps. I'm sorry, but your timed trial for this app has expired. You know. So he's a naval officer and we're all army officers? This is interesting. I don't know. (laughs) I always thought that petty chief, though, was an oxymoron. You're petty and yet you're a chief. I don't get it, Minky. Can you help me out? Long, long ago, when navies around the world were attempting to figure out exactly what kind of rating they could give their top enlisted men who had not gone to officer training school, they they decided that being a chief officer wasn't necessarily the top rank for the enlisted men. It had to be a petty chief officer because that just signifies that the rank was granted by someone above you instead of necessarily being granted by not, by cadet finishing school. I don't know. I'm not actually sure on this, but I just came up with something that might make sense. You know, ah. it actually sounded halfway decent. I was on the edge of my seat there. That is well, take impressive it improv. It was very impressive, but not nearly as impressive as the trilogy of games we are talking about today. That's right. We are talking about Artanelico, Artanelico 2, Melody of Metafalica, and Artanelico Koga, Neil of Arciel. And, uh, oh boy, and if we have time at the end, we will uh, do a blast in the Pass. We will see. So hold on tight. Strap yourselves in. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. We have returned, and we're ready to kick off our main event. 
We're going to be talking about a trilogy of Gust RPGs, starting off with our Tenelco Melody of Olimia. This was developed by Gust, published by NIS America for your PlayStation 2 home entertainment console. This was released in North America on February 6, 2007, a single-player RPG video game experience coming to you on a DVD-ROM. Whew! And, uh, you know what, I've actually played... I've actually played Artanelago. No, not all the way through. Couldn't quite get all the way through. <laughs> but I played it quite... I think I'm on like 12, 13. I need to sit down and finish that thing. <laughs> it's a really short game. And, I mean, it's a really easy game, too, actually. It for feels, the most part. It feels like a lot longer than it is to me. But we'll <laughs> get to that. It only took me about 23-ish hours. Well, yeah, and I feel like I've played 23-ish hours, even though the clock only says, like, 10 or 12. Sometimes you're super fast, Sam. I don't get it. Maybe I just have grown slower as I get older. I can't Some things depends on the game. It depends on the game with me. Some games take me a lot longer than others. Do you you use a fact when you hit a hard point, or do you keep poking around till you figure it out? Uh, I used to just poke around. Now I've gotten to the stage of, no, I just want to get through it, so I go check the fact, and then I put the fact away. And see, that's, that's the reason there's this great site called Game Facts. It's just there in case you don't want to spend the six hours it would have taken you as a kid back before the internet, and you had to figure it out. So, see, see, the problem for me is that when I sit down and play these things, it's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. It's my hour before bed. I'm just like too freaking lazy to get up and go to the computer. The iPad makes it a little bit easier, but then that requires that I actually remember to take Phil. the iPad with me to the couch. <laughs> Phil, you don't have a smartphone? No, the iPad. The iPad would be the ideal. Yeah, the smartphone's too small to read a big old FAQ on. I've tried it before. It's really not ideal. Especially when you're, like, searching for Chapter 23, you know, to get to the part <laughs> of the game where you're at, and you try to do a search function on your smartphone. Oh, yeah, that's... But I usually, usually the iPad's a great... I tell you what, that has helped. Because uh, it used to be I'd have to go all the way and get to the computer to look something up on the fact. Because I, I don't want to print the whole thing out. Those things are huge. Uh, God bless, by the way. I just want to put this on the record now. Being you know an old school RP gamer, I do you know go back to the facts a lot, especially when I'm playing uh, an old school uh, PC RPG. Um, and that's where it's really easy because you just all tab. But uh, God bless each of you guys who spend the hours and hours writing up those FAQs. You have much more patience and much better writing skills than I can ever hope to have. Yeah, that is a pretty thankless job. It is. It is. It I is. Abs- I, w- I was playing. Um, I was playing. No one lives uh, forever. Uh, a couple years ago, it's a first-person shooter. It's PlayStation One generation type of game. But I wanted to get through it. It's really cute. And uh, boy, I got stuck in like the eighth, eighth or ninth world or board or whatever they're called their scenario and uh could not figure out what the stupid exit was took me like an hour and a half i finally gave up looked at the fake queue oh it's behind the bookshelf oh okay yeah god bless that person because otherwise i would never finish that game and i really enjoyed it so yeah love That's you guys to death. Artanelico. same thing with Artanelico. I, I get stuck in places i don't know why the weird dungeons just look weird to me see see here's my yeah. thing though i get There's stuck a- there is really no reason to get stuck in Artanelco, and yet it does happen every so often, considering the game is really nice, and it has this thing called, find your current objective. It, it doesn't, I don't know why, but I kept getting lost in dungeons, and, and I don't, even with the whatever help they have there, I just... 
See, I don't remember getting stuck in any of the, any of the dungeons in the first game. The third game, however, there is one absolutely dreadfully designed dungeon that I know I got lost in many times, and finally I had to draw a picture. I know and that was while I was reviewing because there was no facts when I was reviewing. I remember one specific situation. It wasn't a dungeon. It was the in the town that I wasted probably half an hour on before I looked at a, a fact. And even then, I, I had to like read it a few times to kind of put together. But the exit that I was supposed to go go to, there was no clear indicator where I was supposed to go to next. I knew story wise that I was supposed to get out of this town and go to this place, but I I couldn't figure it out looking at the mini maps or anything that was in the game. I read the FAQ and it said, well, when you're at this place, you do this and this. When you're in the city, do this and this first, and then go right over here. And it turned out that it was just that the it, it uses Artinelco, I believe, if I remember this correctly, it uses like a bunch of 2D graphics, right? Those backgrounds yep. and stuff. So yeah. the staircase going down, you know, kind of blends in. I mean, now Final Fantasy VII had this problem with Final Fantasy VII. You could press a button and it would light up all the exits with little arrows. Uh, Artinelco, I, I, if, if it's got that button, I don't know which one it is because I, I didn't see the staircase was just so well drawn into the background. I didn't realize it was a staircase exiting me out of the city. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> so sometimes it's just my own silliness. I, you know, ten thirty at night, eyes are watering. I'm just an old guy. I just, yeah. It probably is. It probably sits on the front of the cover. Artinelco, beatable by seven year olds, and here I am, just <laughs> mother. Where's our friggin' exit? It ain't the bosses that beats me. It's the <laughs> where in the hell do I go next? Uh, it's cute. So let's talk about the story. Well, let's talk about the story because story is good. Let's talk about the plot. Who wants to talk about the plot? Well, this is the only one I cannot talk too much about. Well, interestingly, I mean, how do I describe the world? It's pretty much a world made of music, if you think about it. Um, Like a lot of the areas, for example, in terms of dungeons, have like trumpets and stuff. Pretty much there is the Tower of Artanelico and the Wings of Horus, and they are land masses that are connected to um, each other. Basically, in order to get to the tower, like you need a really awesome Raven Tail girl. I don't know. I don't remember the plot of this because I played it when it came out. But I'm going to do my best. Basically, let me, let me ask this first, Sam. What, Are there any you? similarities between this and the Atelier series because they're both from no. Gust? Okay. No, yeah. not at all. Totally different teams. No, it's the same team, just different style of game. Like, okay. there's there's two races in the story. You have the humans and the Raven Tails. The humans are pretty much humans, and the Raven Tails are a manufactured race created to maintain Artinelico, the tower. They look like humans. They're pretty much just little android babes who people do things with that I don't really want to discuss. <laughs> and, yeah, like, the Raven Tails are these, like, they're these superhuman hot chicks. I think it's the best way to describe it. Um, and then as so the they're the Charlie's goes, Angels? Well, in this game, actually, that would make more sense. The other one's not so much. Um, but basically, you start out as a character named Liner, uh, Liner Barset, and he's a knight of Alemia who... Um, he pretty much ends up in a place that he's not supposed to after attempting to destroy a virus that's within um, the tower. Uh, he ends up being rescued by a raven tail named Orica, and then Orica meets another raven tail named Misha, and they basically connect because, hey, they're raven tails, and 
basically both of them fall in love with Liner and you as the player get to choose, hey, which one you want to date? Remember that theme because it occurs again in the series. <laughs> and then you have sexy cowboy man Jack Hamilton, who I absolutely loved. Crucier, who is a airship graph melder. Basically, she's the steampunk character of the game. Uh, Randolph, who is a cardinal of the church. I don't remember really using Randolph. And then there is Shralia, who is, I believe she's the other Ravatail. I want to say she's the other Ravatail because she's the tower administrator. And then there's Ayatane, and he is a douche face. And then there's an evil Ravatail thing named Mir, and that's who you go fight because she hates humanity. And she's all like, I hate you because you mistreat the Ravatails. And I want all my rave tales to come and kill you. And oh my god, Ayatani like has the hots for me. Spoiler. So even though she wants to kill you, she also loves you. No, no, she hates you. Mir, Mir hates people. She does. And Ayatani has his own kind of like he's another. He's a oh, okay. sort of he's an antagonist, but he's also um, a character you actually get to play as as well. So he's kind of a, a tricky little character to describe i think like i'm trying to remember ayatane actually has like a dual form like he's he's actually supposed to be a virus which in this world like people are both viruses and cures because the world is kind of like a computer (laughs) i guess is a way to describe it i'm doing probably like the worst job ever but no i think you're actually pretty spot on you're making okay. me think of Tron with that description. Um, but yeah, like the world is computerish, and basically, in order for programs to function, the Raven Tales have to sing the songs. The songs are like unlock codes or lock codes, depending on um, whatever their function is for. And ultimately, Raven Tales are slaves. They they are they do their functions, and that's it. Um, which is what makes the story in the first game kind of interesting because Liner spends a lot of time with Shirelia, Orica, and Misha, and he's trying to, in a way, humanize the three of them. And for the most part, like, they start to come out of their shells, have personalities, and he's kind of in his own way trying to set them free, I think is the best way to describe it. Like, Liner's adorable. He's dumb as all hell, but he has very good intentions, which, unfortunately, is also a theme of Artanelago. The the male protagonist... The male protagonists tend to be really stupid. Um, I have a little bit more sympathy for Crow, who we're going to look at in the second game, because he's probably the least dense of the bunch. He has his moments, but I would say he's probably the least dense. Because Aoto in 3 is horrendous, and I hate him oh so much. Oh my god. I hate Aoto. But I have a soft spot for Liner, because he means well pretty much in everything that he does. He's just dippy. Um, but yeah, there's there's a really strong cast of characters. The plot's pretty intriguing, especially when you start to learn that one character is, I think, the cure, and the other one is like I'm trying to remember. One is like a cure, and then the other one is like a virus. And like Misha and Orica, they they're kind of paired together in the sense that not only are they fighting for Liner's affection, but they also need each other in order to make the world function in a lot of ways. Like, they are special Ravatails compared to 
a lot of the generic ones that are there. And then there's Shirelia, and she's basically the the administrator of the tower. And she's pretty intriguing, I would say. You actually, at one point, you can actually date her as well for the third Cosmosphere. But that's only if you don't get the premature ending. So it depends, like, how you move the plot along, because there are two different plot lines at work. You can either choose to side with Orica or you can choose to side with Misha, and you actually get two very different stories. Now, I have not played the Misha side, so I don't know how different that is, but I did play the Orica side, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, you can also side with Shirelia at one point, but it means you have to reject the other two to do it, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if you have anything that you want to add, Mike. Uh, well, I didn't. I never really played too far into this one. Uh, I could mostly just talk about the battle system and the music. Oh, the music is so good. Yes, because the music being amazing is kind of the theme of the whole series. Yeah, music. Well, when you, when you said that the Raven Tales need to use their songs in order to keep the thing running, I figured music was going to play a big role. Music yes. plays a huge role in this series. I mean, it's not only is it for making things run and work, but it's also just the language in which the Raven Tales speak to each other. In fact, like Gus created their own language for this series called the Hymnals. And you'll see it throughout the text um, as you're playing the game, but they'll also speak in this Hymnos language. So a lot of the songs are supposed to be replicating that. Though sometimes I question if it's another language or if it's just screwy Japanese. Because <laughs> sometimes I feel like I hear Japanese words and then sometimes I feel like I hear made-up words. But regardless, it's really pretty. Well, who yeah. localized this one? Uh, NIS localized all three of them. Okay. This one, I would say, in terms of localization, is not bad. It has moments of typos and awkward sentence structure. I would actually say the one that was the best localized was the third one, oddly. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of is upsetting, because the third one is probably the weirdest one. Yeah. Um, the second one this... has some issues. Don't spoil us. That we'll get to. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the, the, that that'll take up a lot of time. I'm thinking. Uh, well, let's put it this way: the for, the first one has, for the most part, it's a decent localization. For the most part, you can understand what they're trying to get at. Um, I don't know. Like, I didn't find it as awkward as I'm finding some of the stuff in two now that I'm playing it. But um, yeah, Raven Tales, they're kind of hot, and they really are actually the the strong like the, the stronghold of the battle system. Because when you get to the battle system, in the first game, it's a turn-based system, but you have two vanguards and one Raven... Oh, sorry, three vanguards and one Raven Tail. So your vanguards are every character who's not a Raven Tail, and they help charge up the Raven Tail's song meter. So the more hits, and the more hits that they take, so the more damage they take, plus the hits, uh, ups the percentage of the meter. And... As it goes on, like the higher the percentage, the bigger the damage for the Raven Tail. So you always want to push as much damage as you possibly can to make sure that things die in one hit. Because that's ultimately what the Raven Tail does. It stands there in the back, you protect it, and then if you're a good protector, she should be able to murder everything. No problems. <laughs> that's what makes the game really easy. 
when we get to the second game's battle system, they kind of took the easy factor out by adding something really annoying that I don't like, but we'll get to that Aww. at some point. I, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, and I, I have a bizarre complaint for it that most people probably won't have, but that's probably more due to my arthritis than anything else. <laughs> it is a bad battle system for people with arthritis. Where uh, Yeah, first... I would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> I was going to say, whereas the, the, the first one is perfect for someone with arthritis. Hell, even yeah. three's battle system is alright for somebody with arthritis. But two is not. <laughs> and uh, when we get to that, I'll, I'll explain why. Because um, it's it's not fun on my wrists. Yeah, unfortunately I played this one after two, and you know, I think just because it was kind of a slower turn-based battle system after the one and two, it kind of bored me. So I can never really get into this one. Yeah, I, I went backwards. So for me, it was like I went from one to three to two. <laughs> so go figure. Three, yeah. Three's the one I'm actually, or sorry, two's the one I'm having problems with battle system-wise. Because I went from the slowness of one to the really fast-pacedness of three to two's really like it's fast but it's annoying for me yeah it's because if you suck at timing uh that battle system is not your friend uh yeah no and if you like lens flare flare that battle system is not your friend (laughs) wait if you like lens flare that battle system is not your friend. if you don't like lens flare i'm tired leave me alone i've been teaching (laughs) no i wanted to be sure i wasn't i wasn't sure i understood what you said yeah no uh there's so much lens flare in the battle system in two it's like obnoxious. So JJ Abrams came along to guest direct it. If he did, I would punch him. But yeah, the battle system for the most part, this game is nice. It's simple. It's straightforward. I mean, you really can't go wrong in terms of simplicity because it's all there. Yeah, and uh, very similar to the uh, Atelier Iris games. Is that what they're called? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So if you play those, this will be very easy to pick up. Right, it's unlike the other two games. Yeah, and it's it's definitely well. I don't know if we want to start talking about the battle system just yet. Um, do you do we want to say anything more about the the characters? You start going into them, but are we? You know what? The characters in this one I found are they're interesting, but they're not. I didn't find them particularly memorable. Memorable, yeah, exactly. Um, like I said, I did not do the Misha plotline, so to be honest, I only really got half of Misha's character. Liner's cute, Orica is adorable, and she's she builds a backbone. She looks like the type of character that has no backbone, and very much the opposite. Um, Trelia is just a grumpy, cranky biatch, and then she turns all like soft and shy and clumsy and kind of moe, which kind of upset the hell out of me. Um, Jack is sexy gunman stereotype. Like, there's not much there. Um, A lot of the characters, funny enough, you know, they are named after musical instruments. Like, there's, um, like, Jack's actual name is Harmonica. (laughs) And uh, there's a character in the game called Flute. So, yeah, like, it's pretty funny. But Jack, actually, he's pretty cool. He's like this gun that's, like, attached to his arm, sort of dealy. And, oh, I thought he was pretty fun. I never took him out of my party. And the same with Crucier. Um, I found those two really powerful for the most part. So I quite like them. And there's other factions as well. Like, there's the, the Tenba, which they, I don't even remember what they do, but... Like, they help 
I want to say they help the Raven Tales, but I'm sure someone on the forums will correct me because there's some crazy Archinoloco fans out there who, yeah. like, I have never... It's funny, with the Atelier games, I don't see as much crazy fandom Archinoloco. For some reason, I see it more and more, and when we get to talking about 3, I will explain some of my interesting experiences with Artinoloco fans. Yeah, I've seen some people very angry about Miss America's uh, translations of all of the games. And do you all remember how upset people were with my review of 3? Yeah. That was no. a great day. Uh, I, then I again, I knew I wasn't going to be playing it anytime soon, so I just yeah. tuned, I just thought, oh, people are being crazy for the sake of being crazy. Like I said, I mean, one is a great game. I I do think it's worth playing, absolutely, just because for what it's worth, if you end up really liking it, you've got two plot lines you can play. Uh, the characters are really cute for the most part. The story is nothing particularly special, but the world itself is really cool. And and, and the music. And the music. Oh you God, play for the, the music. music. Yeah, the yeah. music is, is fantastic, and it's yeah. you why are... you play the game. Uh, yeah, we. I think we say that a lot about some games, but you literally will not find music like this in any, any other game. So to me, it sounds other like than, it's more about the experience rather than uh, any earth-shattering event that happens during it. Hmm. Would that be? Would that be applicable? Do you think? Well, um, hmm. hmm. I, I don't think. I. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I suppose, I suppose, but I personally didn't feel that that experience was super great, but I guess compared to the, to the story, which, I mean, kind of start off with some interesting premises, but as uh, Sam said, the characters don't really um, stick out, they're kind of, um, uh, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for, they either don't stand out or they're a little too stereotypical for my taste, um, and yeah, the story, nothing was jumping out at me about the plot or the story itself. So I guess the experience would be better. I mean, the graphics are pretty. Um, I like the graphics and it has the 2D. So the graphics are 2D kind of like, as we mentioned before, the backgrounds are very similar to uh, Final Fantasy and the fact that 7 and the fact that they're hand-drawn 2D, two-dimensional backgrounds. But your character is also two-dimensional, unlike Final Fantasy. Um it's all 2D art, which is very, very nice. Um, for the most part, pretty well rendered, nice art style and the such. I liked it. Um, the, yeah, the music was pretty good. So I guess when you take those elements and you say, hmm, pretty good experience on those ends. But as we kind of edge over to the combat system, as um, as Mr. Apps was kind of saying, it's a little two-dimensional. It's a little on the boring side. <laughs> In my opinion, I mean, if you're looking for something that's super easy that isn't going to stress you out in battle, this is the game that does it. <laughs> but, um, uh, but Sam uh, would be better to speak on uh, since Sam got through the whole thing. Do you feel that Sam that the that it's more about the experience or the journey rather than the you know any big event or plot hook that jumps out at you? say so i mean for the most part the fun of the game really is just getting to know the raven tales and going through the cosmospheres which is the big gameplay gimmick wherein you dive into the dive into her yeah yeah Yeah. um 
not a fan of that, but whatever. You'll learn about the Sounds like Phil's a fan of it. I just enjoy diving into my women so much. I'm sorry. It was, it, you know, it was. There's some. There's some really interesting concepts there. The idea that you're going into somebody's, you know, subconscious to help them remove their personal doubts or whatever roadblocks in their psyche that are holding them back from reaching their full potential. I, I think that in and of itself is, you know, has potential. But the language they kept using to talk about it was like, I don't know, fourth grade sex jokes. I just look at, are you ready to dive into your raven tail? <laughs> I'm just like, okay. It's, it's a really interesting concept, but I don't think Gus necessarily has the right writers to pull it off successfully. Uh, it, it was it, it was hilarious, and we haven't gotten to the part where clothes start getting shed, so I can't just. <laughs> I haven't played the game with the clothes shedding, so uh... Uh, that comes later on because it just gets even worse. So I mean, the first game starts out with just the the language and the innuendos every time he's diving into one of them, and, and yeah, it just gets it just goes downhill from I, here. I would say the the first game is probably the tamest it, of the bunch yeah. of the sexual content. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the games get more risky, I think, as it goes on. And yeah, I, I, I found played all the first one, and I would definitely agree with that. I find actually the third the third one's probably the most offensive, mostly because it really gets into a lot of fetishization and all that kind of stuff. And I actually was mildly offended myself. Um, whereas the first game, it was just kind of like boys making booby jokes and you're just kind of like okay haha that's fine and you move on with it i think in terms of localization i think nis did for this whole uh, series on a whole they, they took it a bit overboard um and i find just in get with the gust games in general they tend to do that and i'm like i still think they do a good job in terms of localization for most of it like maybe 80 percent of the game but when it gets to like the, the humorous bits they always tend to go for the sexual humor and not maybe what is actually happening, mm. which I am not a fan of. Because sometimes it's not even a sexual situation, but you get a sexual comment. You're kind of looking and you're going, one minute Liner's super cute, the next minute he's making a pervy comment that just seems out of character. But okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess I have to accept it. And I, I don't like that. In the second game, I found Crow doesn't have that problem because he's probably the least interested in sex. <laughs> I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, whereas I think the girls are more interested in sex in in two, to an extent, <laughs> than he is. And then in three, Auto is just like he he wants to take every girl behind the middle school and get them pregnant. <laughs> like that's probably the best way to describe how the progression works. In this. Oh, I'm glad. So you're... it goes from somebody who's somewhat interested in sex to someone who's apathetic towards it to someone who is a raving sex hormone maniac and yeah. is almost impossible to distract from it sort of kicking you in the balls. Yeah, Auto is really offensive. Yeah, and I, and in that case, I don't even think that's necessarily because of the localization. I think that's kind of... He's just actually this, an yeah. offensive character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, he, he makes... He, he's like a frat boy, Auto. It just bothers me. Like, let's put it this way. Liner's the the big dumb suck who you could probably bring home to mom and go, okay, he's kind of special, maybe special needs, I'm not sure. 
Crow is the one that you could bring home to mom, definitely, because you don't have to worry that he's going to steal your daughter's virginity anytime soon. Alto is the one that you have to restrain behind the house with the collar and chain to make sure that he's well away from your daughter. So, so, yeah. so he's the kind of guy that the dad gets out the shotgun over. My Italian father probably would have. Not so, quite sure that shotgun would be powerful enough. No, you just need Italian rage. It's okay. They they know. Put a, like a Robert De Niro-esque moment in there. You touch on my daughter. You know, a lot of them don't like it. So that that's the best way to describe how the protagonists work in Artanelico. <laughs> I mean, I know we've jumped all over the place, but that's only because the first game is really, like, there's not a lot to talk about. Mostly because it's such a very bare-bones game. Um, it's it, I think the first game does a great job of establishing like the world building and what the series is trying to become in a lot of cases. And I think two takes it a step further. Like the world's very much established. So that's where I think that once we get to two, it's a little bit easier to talk about kind of where Artanelico is going. Cause the first game, I mean, if I can beat it in about 20 hours, you can too. I'm just saying. And I don't know, just, is it something I would recommend? Yes. Like, I would recommend all of them, even three to an extent. I don't know why I'm talking about this all really fast and doing my Italian hands as I'm talking to you all, but <laughs> wait, can, we, can, can we move on to the second game? Because one is really not that interesting. I mean, Cosmosphere, girls get better. Girls' self-esteems go up. Every time I plunge into one of my Raven Tales, their esteem goes up. Ah, so does mine, too. <laughs> oh, just to go back to the Cosmosphere for a second, they get a new outfit every time. So, you know, at least for what it's worth, you get to play dress up. Hey, and that that's worth it right there. Also, I mean, I played up to Orca's ending, and her ending's really, really cute, because, like I said, she grows a backbone, and it's kind of awesome. Second game! Yay! Because <laughs> Mike Apps can actually talk with me. Yay! So, let's talk, ab- <laughs> let's talk about Artanelico 2, Melody of Metaphalica. This Metaphalica. Is de- nope, Felica. It looks Spanish Metaphalica to me. It's to have the word no. phallic in it for no, a no, reason. No, 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 Philip pronounce it the way he wants and that you know, very much ruining, you haven't been ruining. on this show very long have you and it very much looks spanish to me so therefore it is getting the spanish <laughs> no, 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 no. you need to understand it's called metaphalica for a reason in that it looks phallic metaphalica looks like a giant penis okay metaphalica penis i never had phallic. anybody refer so to my like penis as a phallica okay. well, well let's put it this way First, it just looks like a giant circle thing. Then it grows into a penis. And yeah, there. Like, I'm sure people will be offended for me calling that, but you know what? I don't care. That's what it looked like, and that's what I said to Scott when I saw it. We have just lost Did he him. agree? He was confused. We have just lost all <laughs> of our iTunes. I that. iTunes uh, rights here. <laughs> I'm sorry, but mm. uh, being the only girl here, I guess I'm the one that notices... Like, all the really awkward stuff that happens in video games. Well, the guys know us. We just giggle about it. Um, Artanelico 2. 
Developed. Archipelago penis of Metaphalica. Yes, go on. Developed by Gust. Released by, uh, or published by NIS America. Released here in North America on January 20th, 2009. Where it rose to popularity on the PlayStation 2. For all the wrong reasons. <laughs> as a strong and straight single-player RPG experience. Now, as a January 2009 release, uh, how how many PS2 RPGs were followed it in North America? I think it was like two, because there was this, and then there was Soccer Awards, and I think maybe Eternal Poison. Maybe the... Those- Maybe Marvel Ultimate Alliance too. I don't know. Uh, I don't count Marvel Ultimate Alliance. It I did. know it was multi-platform, but it was on PS2. Well, I don't pay attention. I don't mind it. So it was very close to the end. Pretty much. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, Artanelical two. Uh, doesn't say what month on here. Shimigami Tensei Devil Survivor Summoner two. Yeah, there was that one as well. Like, there wasn't that many. This was definitely where the PS2 library, RPG library was starting to dwindle and... Oh, no. This... Artanelco came after that one, too. Yeah, I was going to say. That... This one... It might be the last one. I'm having a hard time finding no, anything. No, Soccer, Soccer Wars is last, I'm pretty sure. Well, Soccer Wars should be the last one. Why is it not showing up? Unless they didn't classify it as a role-playing game in Metacritic. Evil. I'll just do all categories. Ha-ha. I mean... Archon Loco 2. Oh, really- you're right. Okay, I'm looking at the list in reverse order. Minakamia came out after it. 2. Minakamia 2. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's so- right. Yeah, that that came out the- really late. Minakamia 2. Yeah, yeah. Can't forget that one. Yeah, we, we clearly didn't forget it. And si- <laughs> Silent Hill Shattered Memories. You know, come on. Oh, there's uh, Sakura Wars. What, what do they classify it as? They didn't classify it as an RPG. What the hell? Oh, it doesn't what? say. No, okay, it's strategy, turn-based, turn-based <laughs> fantasy strategy. So that's what they say. It's not RPG. It's turn-based strategy. <laughs> Go on. Artanelico 2. I bought this game because of the RP Gamer review. <laughs> That's because Zach gave it, I think it was like a 4 out of 5, and he, he loved did. it. He... Yes. And just to show how much he loved it, um, a lot of the fans of RP Gamer ripped him a new asshole because of this review, and I was very upset with how they treated him. Because wow. they were like, oh my god, there's a huge bug in the game. You need to mention the bug. And Zach was like, I never got the bug, so... Aww. How do I mention something I never got? Which people, lesson learned, if you don't get glitches in a review, you don't have to mention them. It's true. True true facts. You don't have to mention them. Just because it happens to you does not mean it happens to every person. Because I got glitches in Artanelico 2 that people didn't get, so... And, and and if you're any sort of long-term gamer, especially if you're a PC gamer, you know to read multiple reviews and or forum posts because what works for this reviewer won't may not work for you and vice versa. I mean, just those exactly. bugs and stuff. I mean, Civilization Four was a classic example. I read the review. Silly me ran out and bought it right away, not realizing it was not compatible with my graphics card, even though it wasn't. It was a bug because my graphics card was advanced for the time. 
so it wasn't that it was too old, but it was just a, it was a known issue with certain um, ATI or whatever Radeon graphics cards at the time, and you only saw it during a on it like one or two out of the blue reviews and some forum posts. And boy, was I cranky! They don't let you take those things back to GameStop. I've tried. <laughs> I'm like, hey, this doesn't work on my computer. Can I get a refund? 100% satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, they laughed at me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just gonna throw it out there already. Yes, there are some glitches in this game. Uh, one yes is definitely related to the localization. There is a boss fight. It's a mandatory boss fight, no less. If you get to it, if you don't kill this boss in three turns, there mm-hmm. is a chance that the attack will freeze your game and lock it up. So, do you, will alternating saves help with that? Probably. I Again, I don't think it has to do with the fact that like your save files get deleted. I think it's just, it freezes. Yeah, it and just freezes it. the game. And there's actually, you can kind of... Uh, cheese the game a bit to get past this boss fight and really any boss fight but uh, there is an easy way to get around the bug if if you know how to do it that's why I'm going to use a fact when I get to that because that's my next boss fight (laughs) absolutely use a fact there because uh, you that is like right before the last boss I think and that's that's an awful place to, to get stuck yeah, that's why we're throwing it out there now, because you know what, we want to acknowledge, yes, it's there, but you can get around it. The other glitch that I had, and I'm sure not many people had, because when I mentioned it to people, they were very confused, is actually every so often after a battle, the game would freeze on me. Hmm. Just a regular one. Um, would it freeze permanently? As in you yes. had to reload your save? Yes, okay. I had to reload my save. But funny enough, it only did it to me at the beginning of the game, like the first two phases, and then when I hit phase three, it never happened again. So... That's kind did of an you, interesting aspect. Did you aspect. make a sacrifice to the gods of the PS2, and was it granted then? I don't know. No, that no. I, like I said, it's very strange, but, um, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had it happen again. So I am okay with this, um, considering the circumstances. But, um, yeah, Artanelico 2, similar world. Um, you still have the Tower of Artanelico, except that this time... You're not in Alemia, you're in Metafas, which is um, a different tower. Um, but it has, you know, the same kind of facilities within it. Um, this time around, however, there is what they call the IPD epidemic going around. So these are Rave Tales that are going cray-cray and have not been cured. Um, yes. So the main character of this story, uh, Croy, he has to, as a knight of Metaphas, I forget, they kind of they call him the Divine, he's a member of the Divine Army. Um, he has, his job is to actually go into the field and stop these IPDs from harming uh, random citizens. Uh, and he does that with the help of his trusty best friend and partner that he lives with, Kokona, who is adorable and looks like a surfer girl. And I love her. So, yeah. Uh, in this story, Croy is actually already friends with a Ravatail in it, and her name is Luca, and she's a dive therapist. Dive therapist jobs are kind of sexual and are treated like they are skanky, hoish bags who basically are supposed to help men get off. That is what the other female character will tell you in the story, and that's what Luca does. She helps men get off. Whereas Cloche, she is the battle maiden, and she's all like, 
my government wants to instill that all IPDs are destroyed and, you know, things are bad, except that she doesn't actually know why they're bad. She's just being told to say that. Um, whereas Luca is like, no, like, we have to help the Raven Tales because if we don't, you know, this epidemic could spread and it could become worse. So their fates actually end up being intertwined together. Um, both of them obviously also falling in love with Croy, so you have that whole plot line at work. And uh, it's actually actually really good. The game starts out really slow, but once you hit, I think like the second uh, the second phase, the story really picked up for me. I know that um, lots of girl power in this one for sure. Yeah, once you have to make the big choice, things kind of take off from there. Yeah, it's really good. Like the characters are yeah. pretty fun in this one, I would say. Um, so the dive system is still there. The Cosmosphere is still there. Um, but unlike the previous game, like the Cosmosphere, I think in the first game went up to I want to say it was like eight or nine. In this one, it's interesting because it'll only go up to five until you pick a girlfriend. Once you pick a girlfriend, you can go beyond that. And it, this game's kind of interesting in that once you pick somebody. Um, a lot of the plot and the dialogue will tailor to that choice more so than it did in the first game. Mm. Uh, I picked Luca this in this one, so because so so close, we, we, close, yeah, close rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I really didn't like her at all. But she gets you know, better. That's the funny thing, though. It's like you you, you go through Luca's plot, and you're kind of like, oh, close is actually not that horrible. She's just naive. Yeah, that's kind of what's kind of interesting is they kind of switch like you, you kind of like close some more and you kind of see uh like the no. bad side of luca and it kind of changes your opinion a little bit yeah that's how i kind of felt because i got to a point with luca where i wanted to slap her and i was like why <laughs> did i pick her and scott was like you thought she was cuter and i was like but cloche has the boobs he's like well you didn't pick the boobs so it's your own fault he told me to pick Cloche. I did not listen. And I'm kind of mad now because there is a third Ravatale and she's little Miss Saucy Britches named Jackley. And yes. Jackley's kind of awesome. So I'm really mad at myself that I didn't reject Luca and pick Jackley. Only because I honestly didn't know where they were going to go with her character. Um, she's basically i guess the best way to describe jackley is she's kind of almost like a vigilante oh my god there <laughs> was some technical Sorry. difficulties there the microphone fell by accident i'm scared it's not going to kill me i guess talking about vigilante characters has repercussions well yes she's she's kind of marches to the beat of her own drum and what makes jackley really fun is just the fact that She's sort of the one who's like 20 steps ahead of everybody else. So everyone else is just figuring something out. And Jackley's like, yeah, I already knew that. And everyone going, well, why didn't you tell us? She goes, because you're all dumb and slow. Like, she's the sass mouth of the bunch. And I, 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 loved, I loved her so much. Like, just her commentary made me smile. Because, you know, the yeah. female characters are really slow in this game. Like, spoiler, Luca and Cloche... They're sisters. Gasp. And you know what's sad? Jackley figured it out before they did. <laughs> it, it really, as a player, you'll figure out long, long before them. And really, if you watch the opening movie carefully, you'll figure it out pretty quickly. <laughs> See, that I didn't realize. I'm going to watch the movie again. 
But um, yeah, it, it's so blatantly obvious. And the worst part is when you hit phase four, phase four is called truly worth. And it's like, oh, hey, the picture is them two being all snugly together. That, yeah, sisters. <laughs> like they have, it's funny because Luca is not actually the daughter of um, Raisha, but Cloche is. But Luca was the one who was raised as Raisha's daughter, whereas Cloche was kidnapped by the Divine Army to be, you know, their little mascot thing. And the other thing is they are supposed to be like two halves of one coin because Luca is the moon and Cloche is the sun. Like there's a lot of interesting metaphors that the game uses to kind of show how they are similar and yet different. Mm. I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, but yeah, like the characters are really good in this one. I, I, I love first off, uh, I'll never remember her name. Scott calls her tits. I call her Amory. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Okay, is there a reason he calls her tits? Yes. Amory, Amory looks okay. like she's got some triple F's going on. Okay. And she's got some mad under boob, like oh, serious okay. under boob. Um, are we talking like Devil Survivor level character artwork here? I would say Amory might be worse uh, than Eo, if that's what you're thinking, or or yeah. Fumi. Um, she is she, her poor back. Like there, there are two female characters who I kind of feel sorry for art wise because their knockers just make them look disproportioned. One is is Amory, the other is. Uh, Raisha truly worth who is Luca and Cloche's mom, who also looks like she's in a lot of pain. But anyways, Amory, she comes across like she's a wanderer uh, when in fact she she's working for the other side, I guess, in the story, the not divine army side. And she basically wants to bring them down. She had a, a, a friend and then there was Chester and Chester's some weird guy who... I don't actually remember what Chester's deal is. Like, he works for the Divine Army, but doesn't. There's a lot of, like, oh my god, I betray you. Oh wait, I'm actually part of this side in this game. And it's done in such a way that it's annoyingly obvious. Like, that's kind of one of my beefs with the story in this one. It's like, every time a character's like, oh, I actually work for the bad guy. It's like, no, you don't. Like, can, you, in, can you stop? Yeah, and a lot of that stuff doesn't even really matter too much in the end. No, it doesn't. Like, Amory's whole plotline of her being like, hey, like, Chester, be a good person, and hey, Sonya, don't die. Um, you know, it, it actually becomes completely meaningless in the story, which is yeah. kind of like, okay, well, what was the point of that? Like, <laughs> this game really could be shorter than it actually is. Like, it tries to yeah. give some backstory to the other characters, but to be honest, the story really is about the relationship between Cloche and Luca, like even Croy, for the most part, really doesn't feel like a character in some cases. Like he's kind of there to be the vessel that moves the story along in some yeah. cases. He never feels important, which I think is what, in plot terms, is driving me a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, and I'm mad that there is not enough freaking Coconut, like best character of the bunch. And yeah, she's pretty great. She's sassy. And she puts the other two in their places because they spend the whole game like, Croy doesn't like me. He doesn't like me either. Oh, my God. Like, that's the whole first two phases is them whining about Croy. And you kind of just want to go, girls, you seriously need to get it out of your heads that 
boys are not the only thing that matter in life. How about saving the world? Yeah, because one of the, the big story elements here is basically that their part of the world is running out of land. Yep. And, and land starts to fall. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is why some of these other plot elements are a bit unnecessary because that's that's the overall uh, plot in the end is they're trying to figure out a way to save their world essentially. Oh gosh, that's clearly not important next to boys. <laughs> Seriously, boys the fact that everybody's going to be dead in a few decades if the the landmass continues to vanish. But how will I manage to land a man? Well, yeah, I mean. I don't. I didn't even mean that, though. I mean, like some of the other like elements involving the sacred army and betrayals and all that. And yes, also the uh, obsession over boys. Um, A lot of it feels padded, and I don't know if that's yeah. the localization being awkward at times, or if it's just really that that's the case. Because um, I feel like, like I said, the story could have been told a lot faster than it actually is being told. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like the story, but I think if it was a little more concise, it would have been a lot better. I think so, too. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I, almost forgot, I almost forgot about Shun, the wolf guy. Oh, Shun party. is nifty. Yes, and he's voiced by Nolan North, which is seems like a completely bizarre place for him to show up. Nolan North in a Nisa game? What is this nonsense? Yeah. I actually didn't realize it was him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it either until I like, saw it. Because it doesn't sound like him at all. It, oh. it doesn't. Um, actually, the voice acting in this one is surprisingly good compared to the first one. Like The first game had the problem of the character sounding either uh, too deadpan or too... like Energetic? Energetic. In this one, I think it does a better job of kind of giving a nice tonality and consistency. I don't think it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination because, oh my god, Kokona's voice. As much as I love her as a character, her <laughs> voice is really awkward at times. And then you have the problem of, like, Cloche. Cloche is... She sounds kind of boring at first, and then, like, I guess because the plot moves along, the actress it sounds like she's a little bit more confident. But for the most part, I think the voice acting is pretty good. Um, whoever did uh, Croy actually does a really good job of kind of keeping him very neutral in the story. Yes. Whereas I think the guy who voiced Liner like, was definitely a lot more one-sided. And oh my god, Wendy <laughs> Lee's in this. I mean, Wendy Lee plays Jack Lee and she does her Faye Valentine voice for Jack Lee, which is pretty awesome. Though, you know what? One thing that bothers me about Jack Lee is... They spend a lot of time with that outfit, making it look like she's got boobs. And then you find out she has no boobs. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, but that outfit suggests that they should be bigger. And I was, I was sorely disappointed. <laughs> Is this supposed to be some secret uh, stand on behalf of all the women who don't necessarily have boobs that are bigger than their heads? Well, no, I'm just, it's confusing because in the game, like, they really like to emphasize women with nice knockers, and a lot of the poses reflect that. Mm -hmm. And then when you get, like, other costumes, um, for Jackley, there's a lot of costumes that suggest that she's got bigger boobs, but when you go through her Cosmosphere, you find out, like, she has none, and that's kind of a small part of her little plot line. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> does Jackley kind of have boobs or not? Um, 
Actually, Boob, Jacqueline boobs has the are a big topic. element of this series. <laughs> I'm noticing that your <laughs> your constant use of the word and reference to this part of the female anatomy makes me think that Gust's developers just couldn't get it out of their minds. Actually, I will say this though: for Jacqueline, she has probably like the best cosmosphere of the game, if it was the sole fact that Cloche and Luca turn into Sailor Moon, and it's just awesome. And most of the levels in her Cosmosphere are, like, completely nuts. And yep. it's just amazing. Like, like it, not it, only... It almost throws that whole element completely on its head. Well, the best part is the fact that you always have to do a battle in her Cosmosphere. And yes. you, only get the, you only get the Ravitales <laughs> to do it, which kind of can be a bitch if you're not thinking like i i died once doing it and he kicks you right out of the cosmosphere and jackley's like god you suck at life and i'm me going yes i do how many other video game characters are actually gonna tell you you suck why are you doing this jackley man jackley tells you like every chance she gets that you suck and i love yeah, her yeah. for it she is a, just a great character I think it's because, she, like I said, she knows that she's with a bunch of dimwits and she needs to figure out what she wants, obviously, from the situation. Because she's, she's obviously there with her own intentions. You just kind of look at her and go, are your intentions worth the stupidity of Luca and Cloche for like half the game? Because they spend the whole game being jealous of each other up until they learn that they're sisters. And then it's like, oh, my God, we're besties now. <laughs> That is not an exaggeration at all. <laughs> I swear to God. Am I doing a good job here? Uh, you are doing a fantastic job. I try my best. But they are. They're like besties. And then, oh, other best part of Jack Lee's Cosmosphere, it's totally written like a dating sim. <laughs> like, your poor Crow gets a new name. His name is Kuro Aki. And you spend the whole Cosmosphere being like, Kuro Aki is sad because Miwa... Jack Lee doesn't love him right now. Will you make Jack Lee feel better or will you tell her to screw off? If you tell her to screw off, she punches you. If you tell her you love her, she gets confused and then gets equally as mad. <laughs> so, like, I love that element. Like, I thought that was really clever for her plotline to be the one that's kind of like a dating sim slash visual novel. Yeah. Because the other two were a lot more straightforward, I found their plot lines like i think lucas is like hey like i'm a schoolgirl, and then i'm not a schoolgirl anymore i'm woman hear me roar and you're just kind of like what and close like i said hers got blocked off after i was like i like luca so you don't actually once you pick somebody it's like that's it it's off limits you can't go back to it yeah i was kind of like that's how depressing. long do you have to make a choice before the game forces you to make one um you don't have a choice it's pretty early the end of Phase one, you have to choose which path are you going on. Are you picking Luca or are you picking Cloche? Yeah, as far as that, though, you don't... You can actually never choose to, like, uh, completely advance in the Cosmosphere with any of the characters. Yep. And, like, then you get, and then you get a kind of awkward ending. Yeah, you get the coconut ending, which is yes. basically... You learn that, hey, Cloche and... Uh, Clo uh, Crow and Coconut, yeah probably still hanging out. Yeah. Like, it's kind of awkward that they already live together because Okina looks like she's 10. She's um, like 12 in the game. Yeah, it's a little weird. 
Um, but yeah. once you hit the fifth level layer of the Cosmosphere, you basically get a choice that says, do you want to stay friends with the Ravatail? Do you want to outright reject her? Or do you want to, you know, tell her that you love her and then your partners for life sort of dealy? Um, Jackley's the only one that, like, you, you, you could, I think is the one that actually gets all three options, whereas I think the other two, it's just either you reject or you you take them up on the offer. I know with Jackley, I got three, and I was kind of confused. I'm like, Mm. I told Jackley Hardcore that uh, I loved Luca and she was very mad at me. But that was because, like I said, I had already picked Luca because I got to five before I did with Jackley. And had I known that situation, I would have picked Jackley. Yeah, I, I, she kind of shows up a bit late in the game, so you might not, you're not necessarily going to consider waiting to advance with one of the other two. She, she is like my love in this game. She just makes me so happy in all the wrong for all the wrong reasons. And yeah, she's but... she's what the Ravatails should be because when we could talk about the two Ravatails in three, you're gonna miss Jackley. A lot. Yeah. Um but yeah, there's kind of two choices in this game. Like you choose to go with one of them at some point, which picks two different story paths. But you can also then you also obviously choose to advance in the Cosmosphere with one of them. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the one that you picked for that story choice, obviously. Yep. Like, you could totally do Luca's path, but pick Cloche. Yeah. And vice versa. Or, like I said, you can tell both of them, I just want to be friends, because you two need to obviously get your family crap in order. Uh, and you pick badass Jack Lee. Yeah. And what's kind of funny about that choice is that the person you choose is the one you're actually going to be without in your party for a long time. <laughs> Yep, that's uh, yeah. The Luca when you when you have to deal with uh, just having close in your party, you go through this this area called the town of Gaia, and you basically have to do chores for Luca. Like one of them is get all of the candy before the evil penguin things do, or clean up the bookshelves because I am upset that they are messy, <laughs> or have a bath. And by that, I mean clean all the icky spots in the bathtub. So it's really bizarre, but it's a plot line that's supposed to get you to understand Luca's subconscious, like why she's afraid to let Croy in, why she's afraid to let Cloche in, what her actual reasons are behind becoming a dive therapist, but also why she's so closed off. Um, and it's, it's actually really interesting to kind of go through some of these insane little tasks just to get a little piece of, of that understanding. I, I did like that a lot. I thought that was really clever. I just wish that part didn't go on as long as it did. Yeah, and obviously, I kind of wish the writing could be a little better. But, you know, I, I have to give this game and the other ones credit for kind of tackling some topics you wouldn't normally see in a game like this. Yeah, absolutely. Exploring, exploring the subconscious. Um, so, but yeah, it's I, the female subconscious, no less, which yes. is kind of an already tricky aspect. I mean, there's a reason why yeah. men sometimes can't figure out why they're in the doghouse with a woman. Uh, yes. And this yes, game that tackles that often. idea. <laughs> but, you know what? Regardless, I think, plot-wise, this one is probably the strongest of the three. Um, just because, even though, like, the you know, the player will figure out that Luca and Cloche are sisters way before they do. It's done in a really touching way. <laughs> yeah. 
And it makes you have a lot of sympathy for the two of them that they're only finally understanding who they are um, and who they even want to be. And it's it's really endearing. And then yeah. Jack Lee ruins the moment usually. But <laughs> it's it's great. And when they start to connect Croy into that aspect, you know, I started to enjoy it a little bit more because you're finally getting some characterization for him as well. That it's not just the fact that it's his duty to protect them, but you can tell he's starting to develop feelings for them, that their yeah. their cause is now his cause. So I really like that aspect. Uh, what I don't like about this game is the battle system, but... Yeah. <laughs> I love the battle system. I know this is where you and I are going to differ a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just one last point on the plot, plot is uh, just, you know, thinking about it, a lot of the different plot threads don't end up mattering in the in the overall picture, but I guess they at least do a good job of uh, helping define the characters a bit. So, I think this uh, one does the best job of that because yes. you do get to know the Ravetales really well. And overall, like the cast of characters is surprisingly fun and engaging. Yeah. So you know, just despite maybe some localization issues, whatever else. Um, Story, character-wise, uh, hard to find a lot to complain about, really. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, there are people out there who are actually trying to retranslate this game. <laughs> um, you so, know, did NIS re- NISA really do that bad a job? Some it's... people would say yes. Uh, some people would say no. To be honest, it's really all about how much you know about like this series and truthfully I think playing it in Japanese you are obviously going to have a very different experience yeah Uh, and that's where like I can't comment as much I mean there are people like I said who are very hardcore Artinolico fans who found that the localization for this game was sloppy which yes it was um, and that it was inaccurate in a lot of cases and see that's where I, I don't know Japanese so I don't know if it actually is inaccurate or not yeah that's that's kind of hard to tell I mean it doesn't Having played a bit of the other games, you know, I don't think anything in it seems to feel out of place in the series or anything. It's it's really hard to tell, um, but I think at least in this case, it's enjoyable enough, and it probably isn't really all that far off from the original. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to. Sorry, retranslators. Sometimes you have to take what those kinds of people say with a bit of a grain of salt. Well, and I think that's just it. I think sometimes it's hard to um, avoid that type of situation. I mean, you're you're not always going to like what somebody does. But I I look at it as I'm just thankful I got the game in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I don't think this was... I don't think this series was easy to translate because there's a lot of different... There's a a lot to it, so... You know, well, I think uh, just even, for example, the hymnos language itself yes. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of extra layers to the series that I think cause a lot of difficulties in terms of the translation and the localization. I would say more so probably than the Atelier games. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm going to give them a lot of credit. I, I think that they did the best that they could. I, I think they should have did another round of proofreading, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but, you're you not know, always going to get every typo and every awkward sentence transition, etc. Yeah, but you know, you really think about it as these games, uh, aside from probably having a low budget, relatively low budget to develop to begin with, probably had a really tiny localization budget. 
Probably. Uh, you know, probably even less than the Atelier games. So. Yeah, uh, when this would be translated in the fall of 2008, most likely, was NISA swimming in enough money that it could necessarily afford to go over this with a fine-tooth comb? For a PS2 game? Well, exactly. At that point, yeah. that's probably it. Um, you got to so, think about how much work you're willing to put in at the point when the console's at the end of its uh, end of its cycle. I mean, and for me, it's I don't I don't speak a lick of Japanese or anything like that, and I don't like to waste a whole lot of time reading other people's opinions on how well they thought the translation job. For me, it's just, did I get a good, enjoyable story? Did I enjoy the dialogue? If I did, and I think the translators did a good job. That's <laughs> just the way I look at it. The only the there's very few games where I think have been, in my opinion, been bad translations, and 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 I'll, I'll I keep beating up on it. But Final Fantasy VII is like I still don't understand half the plot to that game. It just, it just, I couldn't understand what some of them were even upset about. So I don't know if that was just poor translating or if it was just, it was originally written that bad in Japanese, but I blame them all. And yet, all. Sony kept translating games after that. Clearly, no one learned the lesson. <laughs> but if and I can look get. Look how well it did afterwards. If I can get a few chuckles out of it, I'm usually pretty happy. <laughs> well, and that's just it. I think for the most part, NIS tries to always have a more. Uh, comedic and lighthearted tone compared to other localizers. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and yeah, that's... it shows in this series in particular. Just because, I mean, yes, on one hand they go a little extreme with the titty knock knock jokes, but on the other hand, you have to look at it from the point of view of they're trying to kind of give an extra layer that they're they're maybe even unsure of how to translate in some cases. Yeah. You just take it for what it is. Yep. Um, I'd say at at the end of the day, though, that you know, regardless of any issues, that the core of the story still shines there, and it's uh, everything that was localized. It's it's in, it's enjoyable. So um, I think that um, any issues that are there are probably not not worth complaining about. I, for I, the most part, I will say, you know, I mentioned before that the, the the plot and stuff of the first one don't really jump out at me or anything like that. But I did get a few chuckles out of it, whether or not that was their intention at some points, whether they were just mistranslations that made me kind of laugh because the way they were just awkwardly worded or because they were really intentional puns. I, I don't know, but I did get a few chuckles out of it. All right. Well, I, I think we're ready to move on uh, to the last game in the series. No, we didn't talk no, about No, well, yeah, we have to talk about Oh, yes, so. we haven't talked battle about battle system. system. Is... Yes, yeah, how can we have to discuss whether <laughs> some arthritis is capable of I was trying uh, to slip past it real fast. <laughs> well, that's all just right. it. For me, I've gotten to the stage where my arthritis is more noticeable for me and there are certain types of games where I can only play them for a little bit of time because my hands just really start to give. Uh, this game in particular for sure is on that list just because um, it's a system that involves a lot of timing. Like, it's still turn-based, but basically you get an attack phase and a defense phase, and in the defense phase there's this lovely little bar that comes up and basically you have to match the little green bar to the little red bar, and if you screw it up, your Ravatail dies, usually. Yeah, and the, and the kicker to that is that you're actually defending two at once. Yes, so and that's what's get, tricky. Yeah, you have to press the right button. Sometimes you have to press both of them at once. And if later on, some of the battles can be really tough, where you'll just see, like, a, a sea of... Uh, 
button presses coming up. And sometimes you, you know, they don't register and you know you did it and you're kind of sitting there and going, yeah, F my life. Um, yeah, this so, battle system is special in that sense. Yeah. It's, it's fast paced, don't get me wrong, but my frustration definitely comes from the fact that um, my reflexes for something like that, due to my arthritis, makes it really tricky sometimes for me. Especially when it's I'm trying to hold my thumb across the PS2 controller um, yeah. for those doubles and trip <laughs> the doubles because <laughs> it's just like I know that I can't do it as fast as most people. Right. And I know, like I said, part of it's the reflex. The other half of it is my hand probably going like ow, ow, ow in the process. So for me, like I've actually spent I think since what was it, Scott? Since mid-April. Yeah. Mid-April playing Artanelico to pretty much an hour and a half every night before bed, because that's as, about as much as my fingers can tolerate the battle system. Ouch. It's like Street Fighter, you know, for RPGs. <laughs> um, it's an interesting battle system, and I think there are, you know, if you have good reflexes and you're okay with the fact that there's a lot of timing, it's a good battle system in that sense. But for people like me who, you know struggle with stuff like that um it never really plays fairly let's put it that way <laughs> no it doesn't really throw you a break ever yep but, but you know I, I i found it pretty interesting and um certainly was not what i expected when i went into that game but i was expecting slow battle system from one truthfully yeah uh well, when you look at you know you look at their history games like um, uh, Atel- uh, uh, the Atelier games and whatnot, none of them are very reflexive based. They're all pretty pretty laid back JRPGs for the most part. True. And then and, you hit uh, Artanelical too. <laughs> I do again. Too funny. Yeah, and even even the attack phase, you kind of have to mash the buttons a bit because it you, you're timed in the attack phase and you have to try and get in as many attacks as you can. So. And depending on the Rava tail you use, you know, when you're in the Cosmosphere, you get magic every time you complete uh, parts or sections of it. Um, there's blue magic and then there's the regular kind of magic. I can't remember what colors. I, I wish I could say it's red magic, but I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Blue magic for healing and whatnot. Um, red magic, I'm going to call it that, for attacking. Um, because of the fact that you have to time your button presses, it's really easy to kill the Rava Tails in this because you have to constantly monitor um, the amount of like clicks you have in between. And, and Michael's right, there's a lot of cases where you don't get a break. So it's really easy to have moments where you'll get like perfect, perfect, and then terrible, terrible, oh, you died. Yeah. Um, and the vanguards, I mean, interestingly enough, on the D-pad, um, depending on the direction you press, uh, it changes the style of their attack. For example, by pressing up on the D-pad, uh, your two vanguards will use attacks that will increase for the Ravitale's, um harmonics power, right? So how fast they'll sing the song. Um, for example, you hit the left, it's your burst, right? So um, how much power you're enforcing which is pretty neat for the most part. Um, they also get special, the vanguards in particular, get special abilities that after a while, once the gauge is completely full, they can unleash this monster attack. And Croy's has the 
dirtiest name ever. Oh, what was it called? It was, it's something thrust, but he actually says in the English version, he'll say uh, maximum penetration. Yes. And it just comes across so awkwardly. Um, like for me, the characters I've, I've been using in the game, um, my party has been Jack Lee, Luca for my pair of Raven Tales, and then I use um, Legalis and uh, Croy, which I've been finding has been a really good combination. If you choose to have Cloche in your party, she gets her own special ability called Replica. And Replica actually has to do with the IPDs. So whenever you kill an IPD in the game, you can cure it by doing dive therapy, and they join Cloche's fan club. So then when you use Replica, which basically in order to do that, you have to mash up on the D-pad ridiculously a lot until it says, yeah. hey, Replica is ready, and then you unleash Cloche's massive fan club and this powerful beam called Replica. And it so plays some really cool music. Oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, like, operatic, and, oh, it's just pretty nifty. So, yeah, like, that that's the reason why you, you deal with the IPDs. Truthfully, I've gotten to the stage where I couldn't give two craps about the IPDs. <laughs> um, it, I find it really boring to fight them. I find the whole aspect of them really uninteresting, and for the most part, like I said, I don't really use Cloche, so since she's the only character that can use that, um, I'm not finding it to be very useful. Yeah, that that was the same problem for me. I didn't really use her. And even though I liked the battle system and enjoyed doing some of the hard, harder IPD, IPD battles, uh, I still didn't use it very much and didn't spend well, much time with that. The thing is, and I found for me, um, the song magic that Jack Lee has and that Luca has is so much more powerful than Cloche's. I'm sure, yeah. like, if, again, if I had invested the time for Cloche, she probably would have some strong stuff, but... Jackley, for an example, has an attack called My Slaves, and it's all her little demon friends that you can you fight throughout the game. Um, and if you can get the sync, like the uh, the hymnos rate or the sync percentage, whatever it is, um, it does some insane damage. <laughs> and the thing about the magic is that it grows after a certain percentage, so it'll go from like a level one to a level two to a level three, and then depending on who the partner is, there might be an extra level as well. So, pretty interesting. Um, unfortunately, I've also got the pair that I have the lowest um, sync rate with, but I don't really care, truthfully, because <laughs> I haven't really noticed a difference um, with the pairings, like how much it matters or not. So, I don't know if you noticed anything. Not too much. Oh, yeah, and you have to talk to the girls and make them feel appreciated, and that's just a part of all of the games. Yes. Again, not at all like real life. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how well you all, you know, date the ladies, but I mean, I'm a pretty badass at dating the ladies in video games. You're very good at checking up on them, making sure that they know your appreciation level is high. Hell yeah. That's the way to do it. Mm. So. I like to think I have some mad skills. <laughs> it's all about the appreciation. All right. Well, anything else before we move on? Awesome the music's music. better. I was going to yeah. say, music's better in this one. Which is pretty good because the first one wasn't too bad. I like the first one. Sounds like we might have quite a few worthy sound links in this one. 
You know what? I find the soundtracks get better for each game. Yeah. Well, you can always send me some links to your favorite songs. I'll be happy to put them in. I will do that. Otherwise, I let Google do the work. Um, all right. Well, let's move on because I know some of us are on a timetable. Let's talk <laughs> about our Tonella Cocoga, Neil of RCL. This was uh, developed by Gus, published by NIS America, released on March 15th, 2011, for your PlayStation 3. Coming to you on one Blu-ray disc, this is a single-player RPG experience. And, oh my god, this is the most offensive of the three. Now, now I, I don't Very. know what you're talking about, okay? <laughs> I just think I just think Artanella Kokoga has done a really great job of bringing some reality to our games, when you get into fights with other people, your clothes don't always stay on. Sometimes <laughs> they just start flying off. I mean, you're, you're fighting other people's sharp weapon spells, fire blasting spells. I mean, come on. It's going to happen. Did, did, did you come up with the same argument for the third birthday, Phil? I did remember that. Re- remember? And remember what I told you. It was awesome. I think I distinctively remember telling you bull. You know, I, I just I, I don't know why you all think that all these RPG characters have Superman's indestructible outfit. Okay? It's not so much that I have an issue with the stripping because I actually don't. It's the problem. Uh, it, here's, of a... Well, maybe if upon being sliced with a blade, you bled a lot so that it didn't look particularly attractive. And in fact, looked like a doctor should attend to you immediately. Maybe that would be more realistic. See, you guys are making colorful commentary, but you actually don't know what's offensive about this game. There's a character in this game who is infanticized. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Infanticized and physically, geez. mentally, or both? It's both. Like, she talks like a baby. And it's okay. annoying as all hell. Uh, I'll so, say, that's not a fit. That's creepy. <laughs> well, so we have a character. Her She's the main heroine. Her name is Saki. And Saki is the most offensive character I have ever seen in an RPG. And the reason for that is because of the fact that she is perfectly okay with this infantilization. She is she is okay with it. She thinks there's nothing wrong with it. And it just comes across really disgusting half the time because Auto is making nothing but snarky and pervy comments. That so it just adds to that. So he like wants her to be an I'm a little confused. He wants her to be an infant. He treats her like one. Oh, he treats her so it's like an abusive type of relationship. I wouldn't necessarily call it abusive. I think the game tries to pass it off like it's not a big deal. But when you have a character coming out in a kitty cat helmet screaming, meow, meow, I'm a kitty, look at me be kitty, you kind of want to like cry a little bit and also like punch whoever thought that that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> like... Saki's Cosmosphere... Well, that could theoretically be made funny, but it doesn't sound like the necessary step of having an idea and making it funny happen. I don't think it was meant to be funny. That's the problem. Is it a... And forgive me for interrupting, but is it like a cultural thing? Because I know Japanese young ladies or whatever have you think it's cute to act all cutesy and catsy. I don't know. And truthfully, I don't care because... You know what? At the end of the day, I'm sorry. She is supposed to be, you know, 18 years old. She has the knockers of Pamela Anderson, and yet she's a baby. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. That is just inexcusable. And especially because 
she is the focal point of this game, and yet she's such a horrendous character. Like, the game really does push you to be like, Alto and Saki need to be together. But then you have this other Raven Tail, Fennel. And Fennel is actually a good character. Yes, she is. Like, she is Jack Lee put together with Luca, put together maybe with Misha from the first game. Like, she's got a lot of strong qualities about her, and she's redeemable for the most part. Like, Finnell is always looking to redeem herself, whereas Saki half the time doesn't realize that she's doing anything wrong. And in fact, <laughs> half the time she ignores it because she just thinks, well, Master Alto likes it when I'm super cutesy like this. And meanwhile, I'm going, please go away. I hate, yes, I think the whole time I was just like, go away. I Go away. And was glad to not choose her when that choice came up. <laughs> See, I... See, I did choose her actually because the wow. game really really <laughs> makes it like you have to in a way because the game really makes it look like like Auto and Finnell have no chemistry. And yet there's like this yeah. bizarro chemistry with Auto and Saki and I'm just kinda like, you know what? I need to see what this train wreck is. <laughs> so you I were can a stronger be mad person than I. Because I was just like, no, I don't I don't care if this doesn't seem like the right choice. I am not doing that. Like no, I said, I, I regret having, the choice. Having taken the braver choice, Sam, would you say that it was at all rewarding in any way or more like watching a train crash even more? It was like a slow train crash where you just wanted to pull the popcorn out and watch the explosion and then cry a little bit because the character didn't go with it. Oh, boy. Um, like, that's how offensive Saki is. And I truthfully have not talked to anybody who can actually defend Saki as a character, nor less defend Auto as a character. Like, the pair makes it really painful to play the game, in a sense, because um, their relationship is just so morbid throughout. It kind of makes you look at poor Finnell and go, so how are you stuck in this situation, girlfriend? Because... Um, this is a Jerry Springer episode waiting to happen, and I feel like you're too sane for all of this. Ooh, can I throw a chair? Yeah, absolutely, man. We gotta call Steve. Oh, wait, Steve's <laughs> not on the show anymore. Damn it! <laughs> but yeah, um, so there's that aspect, but even weirder in this game is the fact that the Ravatales have extra personas, so when you go in the Cosmosphere, sometimes you'll see them. Like, Saki has her big sister personality, who has, like triple R's or something for breast size. Like, it's really creepy. Um, Is that even a real size? I don't know, but I just made it up. But let's put it this way. I'm sure she would have to put a wheelchair or a board under them to keep them up. Except that the game, like, makes it look like she has some severe back pain. And then there's another one who's like, I'm all isolated and sad, and Saki's pain is my pain. And she has, like, a, uh... she's a nun with a bandage over her eye and then the last one is whenever Saki's in danger the last persona will appear and always like beat up the enemies for her and then with Fen with Fennel um, there's a persona who appears as a nurse there's another one who appears in a clown outfit um, and she actually is probably the most intriguing of the bunch the Soma persona yeah uh, because it's not, like, it's a creepy clown, but it's also, like, 
she's supposed to be like a court jester whenever she appears, which is kind of, uh, it's actually kind of interesting. And then Finnell's last persona barely appears, but it looks like a priestess. <laughs> so uh, stereotyping much. Yeah, it's all there. No. Except for, the, you know what we're missing? A sexy maid. There yeah, is no true. sexy maid. Oh. There is no sexy Oh, uh, you're kidding me! No sexy maid. You really? How how did they oh, not man. like find some way to scroll that in here? I know, considering it was in the I'm other surprised. two. Yeah. Um, and then we have actually a couple other characters. This game actually has characters from the first game reappear. Uh, for example, there is a male character named Tatsumi, except that Tatsumi is actually Kokona. Yay. And so, this takes place how long after the first game? I don't remember, and I don't think I cared. Uh, not long enough that she could uh, go back and legally marry, what's his name from Artanelico I can't say the name of the game anymore, yes. Get those marbles out of your mouth. Yes. Then there's like um, Hikari, who is a doctor that specializes in Rava Tales. Uh, everyone's like, oh, he's an old perverted man, except that he's surprisingly a nice person and for the most part means well in everything he does. He's, he's the straight man of the game, which is probably very difficult to be <laughs> um, in a situation that involves Saki because he spends a lot of the game being like, oh, Saki's hurt. And meanwhile, you're kind of going... Nobody cares that Saki's hurt. <laughs> Just to FYI. <laughs> I know I didn't. No, I did not. And then there's also, okay, my actual favorite character in the game, which is Mute. Uh, Mute is a butch oh woman with <laughs> giant man arms. Um, and it is a woman, voiced by a woman, but she sounds like a football player. And she falls in love with somebody in the game, but I'm trying to remember who it is. Do you remember who it was? I think it was some scientist or something. Yep. Like, oh, it's the kid scientist. Yes. Teppo. It was Teppo. She falls in love with Teppo and she's like, oh my God, you are so cute and you're the nicest person ever and you love me. Yay. Um, And they just have the cutest relationship. And Mute also can transform into a small child. So every so often you'll see her as a little child or as um, the scary burly football player. And That's then you not also creepy at all. No, totally. And then you have Jack and Crucier. They also appear in the game as well. Yeah, in case you guys couldn't tell, this game's kind of weird. This game makes no sense. Yeah. A lot of the environments make no sense, for that matter. Oh my god, it has like, the most poorly constructed dungeons of like all the games. Yeah. Oh, um... I thought the Verticave was bad, but uh, this game... It has that one dungeon you have to go through like six times, and it's so annoying. I'm going to be honest and say that at times the game felt like uh, uh, Gus developers learned to make 3D by making this game. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, the character models are animated pretty well and have um, Havoc physics for their boobies. Because, um, you know, but, Havoc physics for boobies. Yes. Well, that's that's clearly absolutely necessary because if you're going <laughs> to... Why not put the most man hours into your game for that? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. 
But yeah, nicely animated character models, but the environments are pretty terrible. Yeah, it's not exactly a, a nice looking game for the most part. No. The music is awesome. The music Continu- is awesome. Con- continuing the series theme. Also, one thing that is really awful about this game, too, is the amount of bondage. Like, in the Cosmospheres, there's a lot of it. Like, there's one scene where it looks like Finnell's on the ground and she's giving you a BJ, even though it's supposed to be her pleading for, you know, her life. And it it just looks so bad. Like, and I just, I remember seeing that scene and I was just like, really, we went there? Really? Because it looks like that's what she's doing. And I found it really disturbing. I yeah. can't imagine why. I, I Like I said, I, I wasn't joking about feeling uncomfortable with this one. Because yeah. it has no, its moments I'm definitely where, getting that. This like, is, th- you are not making me want to ever touch this thing with yeah, a 20-foot no. pole, Sam. I mean, it uh, too could maybe push things a bit, but never, I would say, in a particularly untasteful way. Whereas this finds the taste line and um, jetpacks over it. Yes. (laughs) The question sort of becomes, how did the Atelier series not have any of this rampant misogynism float over into it if it's the same people working on both series? Maybe they took it all out in this game. Who knows how much sexual frustration they were, you know, thrown out there. The reality, unfortunately, is that this game suffers from having a weak, a much weaker cast, a mod pause of just characters being thrown in. You're kind of looking, going, "What the hell is the point of you?" I guess okay, I'm supposed to care about what you're doing. Really awkward cosmospheres, um, and I'm alone on this, but I actually like the battle system in this one, despite the clothing being stripped off. Um, no, I, you're I, not I, alone. I like the battle system too, though. I didn't play it and just looked at the screenshots. <laughs> I actually like the battle system, uh, clothes stripping aside. Well, it's it's really fast-paced. The vanguards really um, serve more of a purpose than just playing as meat shields. Like, they yeah. can actually maneuver around the battle system, which is pretty awesome. And so you don't have to feel like you're constrained in any way. And it doesn't require timed button mashing. Not at all. Like that, and if you didn't like that, and too, but it does, it does still kind of have that timed element because you can, you have to like time your attacks along to, like the beats. Yeah. And which allows you to power up the Revy tails, which also strips their clothing. Well, and the nice part about the beat system, at least, is you don't have to be pitch perfect on it. You, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you can just. As long as you're trying to get as many hits in as you can um, to boost the Rave Tail, I mean, more power to you. You don't have to be perfect at it. There's also an easy mode on this one, so like both this one and Arctic Loco Two, you can switch the difficulty to easy if you're finding it really frustrating. And is so, easy actually easy? Yes, it's actually easy. Okay. For actually for both games, like easy is actually easy, so and- you don't have to worry. And you can also turn off the animations for the, uh, for the clothing stripping. removal. Yes. If you do not uh, enjoy that. Like, there's only one gold trophy in this game, and it's to basically make... It's to have what they call a purge car- carnival, where all the characters, that's including the vanguard, strip naked. Uh, in their boxer shorts and panties. 
Um, yes. Which I actually did manage to get that once, which it was so <laughs> awkward to see Coconut in her little bikini running around beating people up with her V-board. I was kind of like, oh my god, what did I do? <laughs> Make a time! What have you done to your favorite character from the second game? I know, I love Coconut. And I was, like, horrible to her. But I used her and uh, Hikari a lot, as well as Aoto, because you kind of really can't switch Aoto out, which kind of sucks, because you could totally not use Croy at all in the second game. Yeah. Like, I kind of didn't like that I had to keep Aoto around, truthfully, because, you know, I would have liked it. He's yeah, he's just so <laughs> awful. Awful, awful character. Um, don't like him. He needs a slap. Hardcore. Yeah. Like and pro- have, probably not even the localization issue. He he's was just probably, probably just, an awful yeah. character to begin with. Yeah. Like, it's kind of weird when like he's the most offensive male character and all the other male characters in the game are kind of like normal, I guess. It just seems odd to me. Now, funny enough, I did review this one for the site, and I gave it a 3.5, which I am realizing now was probably a little bit generous. But to be honest, I was playing that, and then I realized I was going into the third birthday, and I couldn't figure out which one was likely going to offend me more. Uh, Turns out third birthday offended me more. Um, Because this one, like, the, the sexual content is really juvenile, minus the sake nonsense. But, you know, the whole pornography of Ayabrea was no better. So, take Early that for what you Early 2011 was a really crappy time for you to be playing games, it seems. Yeah, well, the stuff we're reviewing, absolutely. Um, I found that the multiple endings for this one were actually difficult to get. Hmm. Like, one of there's one battle in this game where it's timed, and if you fail it the plot will continue to go on and you'll get the bad ending. Like, as you progress, you won't realize you'll get the bad ending. Uh, but if you beat it in the time limit... like, There's no timer on the battle, by the way. So you don't actually know that you're being timed. And if you beat it within a certain number of minutes, like, hidden minutes that you don't know, um, you can progress, like, the game and get either Saki's true ending or Finnell's true ending, depending on the situation. Now, I was really pissy because I did not have enough AQ, obviously, for this game when it released because I had it two months before it was releasing. So when I got to that section, I actually remember I had to email um, Naozook, who no longer works there. She was the PR woman at the time, and I said, okay, something is really bothering me here. What am I missing? And she told me about the battle. She goes, go back to that battle, and um, you need to try to beat it, and I think it's under seven minutes. And it's a really hard battle. Like, even on easy, it's an annoyingly hard battle because the uh, the secret time limit boss, uh, he is kind of cheap. Right. So that's something to uh, watch out for. Yeah. And I mean, who would think about <laughs> who would who would think anything about a a boss battle going on for more than seven minutes? I mean, that right. that happens in just about every big boss battle in an R- a turn based RPG, especially. It's nothing you would even wink an eyelash at. Yeah, and that's one of the more annoying aspects because it is the point of no return in the game, no less, once you get to that battle. so I forget, does the game give you any hints that 
Nope. It's timed at all? Nope. I didn't, I didn't think so. <laughs> That's why I remember being so mad at it when I when I got there. I was I was pretty annoyed because you know, I was writing my review and I was like, do I include that or don't I? And then I decided in the end to include it just because you know what? That is something that is just so douchey yeah. of a game to do and it's kind of like, you know what? Just no. No, that, no, that, no. That is a bad way to lock somebody into a bad ending. Yep. I mean, and it doesn't help. The voice acting is really, really bad in this game. Uh, yeah. Uh, mostly, again, blaming Saki. But the other Ravatail, who we haven't even talked about, even her voice is a little weird. And she has, this is, she's actually my other beef with this game. So you have another Ravatail named Tyria. And she comes into the game really late, like pretty much I think the last phase you get her. And when you yeah. do her Cosmosphere, it's like, how do you describe it? It's, it's basically like a binary field. So as you do bits, you get more parts. But it does a really bad job of telling you how to move through the time loops, like to the point where every time you dive into Tyria, you could just end up doing the same loop over and over and over again. And again, I did not have an FAQ for it, so of course I was sitting there and going, how do I get out of the infinite time loop? <laughs> and there's me emailing Nisa again. Like, I was embarrassed how many times I had to email Nisa, because I like to think for the most part, I'm not that stupid with video games. But this one actually did make me genuinely feel stupid. But now I, I question, was it me being stupid or just poor game design? I'm going to say poor game design. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it definitely sounds like poor game design. <laughs> I remember because I emailed Mac and I was like, I am very unhappy right now. He's like, why? Did you hit another one of those moments of, hey, game, what's going on here? And I was like, yeah, I'm unhappy. I'm going to break it. And he was like, please don't break the disc. <laughs> so, yeah, there, th those were my two major gripes with the game because they are two moments that don't explain themselves at all, and you're kind of forced to sit there and go, what am I doing? And am I doing it right, no less? Yeah, true. Not good game design. You know, this one, this one has its problems. Yeah, the voice acting was really disappointing, and, you know, I don't think it was necessarily just this game, because uh, this, on a whole, seemed to switch to, I don't know if it's a different voice acting agency or something around this time and overall the the quality in their games seemed to dip a bit so this one kind of suffered from that and i don't think they even got the same actor for coconut did they it was different yeah actually you know what i can check because i think they no it's the same person actually oh wow just different uh I'm wrong then just slightly different uh wait let me was i looking in the right spot now i'm confused <laughs> i just confused <laughs> myself i think it is though yeah it was still her okay i'm okay. right it was still her just older voice um with coconut having finally grown up a bit because well because in the <laughs> japanese version coconut was supposed to be 13 in that game in the third one and they bumped her to 16 because, obviously, you know, um, statutory rape here. Yeah. Because <laughs> 16 is completely fine. Nobody ever has a problem with that. 
I'm just saying, like, they wanted to make her a little bit less in Fat Psycho well, yeah. and Saki already taken that role. Well, yeah, wasn't Lolita 13? Yep. Just, you know, as a veteran of Gust Games, I like my girls to at least look kind of like they're 16. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. It starts to creep me out when they're hating those pre- adolescent years so yeah the, the third game is really weird and i don't kind know i a, so so what you kind s- of an awful way to wrap things up <laughs> let's well let's, it's the finale no less yeah let's uh let's yeah, have let's we, head has in there that. been any hints or intimations from guests that there will be more artinolico games no they've made it abundantly clear that this was the last one because it was like they're all connected to each other um, because the game in the first one's like, there are three towers. So each game has, like, the tower that it follows and all that nonsense. And I think it's because if they, they made another one, they'd have to go another step further in their wacky, crazy Well, that would weirdness. Be, and... That would be adults only. And yeah. this uh, would, make, <laughs> would make history as the first console adult-only title to be released in North America. Yeah. Um, and that's that's pretty bad because I know uh, what we bought Grand Theft Auto Four, and that has full nudity and everything in it, and it's not that bad. So they'd be able to be Grand Theft Auto Four. God, jeez, oh, Pete's. Okay, so uh, what what this really comes down to for each game is: would you buy it, or would you recommend it to be bought? So to help you, the panel, make this decision, let's start off with the first one: Artinelco Melody of uh, Limia. I'm looking on our good friends at eBay and such, and I'm seeing it for about... I see some like uh, conditions left listed as acceptable without the box or the instructions for about 30. If you want some instructions... How do you lose those? If you well, want what do these, you do? You just throw your disc on the floor and then... Get rid of stuff. Fluffy gets a hold of them. If you want the uh, if you want the uh, box and the disc and all those other fun stuff, you're going to be paying upwards of about fifty bucks. Is it yes. worth it? Um, price wise, I don't know because Michael Tidwell bought mine. But but now that you've played Artanelico one, would you recommend this to somebody knowing that they would have to pay thirty to fifty bucks? I would not recommend it at a fifty dollar price tag. I would recommend it at the like fifteen to twenty. Is it worth, uh, let's say they can borrow it from a friend and spend, uh, is it worth the time to put into it? Yes, because it's short. Okay. And for what it's worth, you get quite a bit of chuckles, the characters are cute, and it's not a horrendous game by any stretch of the imagination. I, like, it's very fun, it's really cute, and if you can get over the fact that the battle system's really simplistic, which, to an extent, all the battle systems in this series are simplistic, yes, you'll have fun. I would agree pretty much with everything you said there. Um, having played it myself. Artinelical 2, Melody of Something or Rather. That one's going for a very solid $45 to $50. Is it worth it? Um, Of the three games, I would say this is the one that if you want to play the series, this is the one to play. Just because um, I think in terms of story, it's probably the best one. Uh, in terms of characters, it's also the best one. And I think that, um, even though, like I said, I'm not huge on the battle system, that's more of just my own crappy hands and not the fact that it's the battle system's fault. Um, I think there's still a lot of fun to be had. And also, I mean, one thing I love about this series, man, is battles stop at a certain point. Like, once you 
deplete the battle system bar, you can just roam an area and enjoy it for what it is, which is so awesome. Yeah, that that is a touch that uh, some other games need to take up. Oh, goodness, yes. yes. But, uh, I don't know, what do you think, Michael? Would you say yeah, this is I, a good one? Yeah, um, I, I definitely had a lot of fun with the game. I think, it, I forget how many hours it took me, but uh, for $50, I would say it's absolutely worth it. I mean, that's I think that's around what I played for it to begin with. So, I think I got mine for 30 and that was when I was in California for Run to the Sun, the year it released. Yeah. Um, and I don't regret my my purchase at all. I mean, I'm sad that it took me this long to get to it, and I'm sad that I'm, I'm not finished yet, um, but I'm definitely interested to see where it goes. I mean, I, I only have roughly... Based on the fact I looked at, probably about six hours left. Not even. Man, if I've gotten to Rocky, the Blitch boss. <laughs> the Blitch boss. Now, uh, Artanel Gokoga, you can uh, get that for about, I'm seeing around 20, 25 used. More if you want it with you know books and boxes and silly things like that. Actually, I can find it brand new for about 40. Thoughts? I got yeah. this one as a review copy, and I still have the review copy. And did I buy it again? No. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know what, Archiloco 3, it's all about how much can you handle creepy sake and how much can you handle the really crude humor in this one. And for me, I mean, I'm a pretty crass and crude person, and even I had my moments where I was like, you know, I'm offensive, but I didn't. I am not that offensive. So that's just me. Yeah. Um, 20 bucks. I, I would not pay $20 for this. I would not pay $15 for this. No. If I wanted to play it, I would have borrowed it from a friend and then probably gladly given it back and said, here, you can have this. And that's even with me giving the game a 3.5 out of five. I still think that there is a lot of things about it, but I do think that, there's a part of me that was like, maybe I overscored that one. I don't know. I think I might have. Um, but like I said, when I compare it to Third Birthday, it kind of earned being overscored. <laughs> um, I just remember when I reviewed the third uh, the third Artanelico game, um, I had a crazy former basically lash out at me that I should have played the game in Japanese and that I was supposed to review it as the Japanese version. And I'll never forget. What? that. Yes. If you go what? find the forum thread, he basically oh told me that um, I played the game wrong because I didn't play it in the original language, and therefore um, what I thought was a f- fun localization for the most part um, was completely wrong. And you know what? I To that person, um, maybe you're right. I don't know, but I don't know Japanese, and therefore I'm not going to waste my time trying to play it in Japanese in a language I don't understand and then pretending I totally get what's going on. Um, our job as reviewers here at RP Gamer is to review the game in the language that we have it in and, you know, base it on the experience we have. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And you're, we are reviewing the things that are released to North America because that is where the site is based and it is not based in Japan. And though I review things from Japan frequently, I do not claim that everyone needs to go play them because, Obviously, the Japanese language is completely uh, easy to surmount, and anybody can understand it with just a couple minutes of effort. Yeah, I mean, that was probably the weirdest comment I got um, back when I reviewed that game, just because 
So I remember the staff kind of rallying and going, you know, you're poo-pooing on this effort, but the reality is this is the product we got. If you don't like this product, go play your Japanese version. Because yeah, you're not I... wrong. Like, you're not wrong in any case, but you can't say we're wrong either, considering you didn't play it in English, because, like I said, I had the game two months in advance. I reviewed it a month in advance before the release date. So that's where I always get a little bit frustrated with people because it's like when I, when you review a game early, like, and let's say in this case, a month early, no less. Um, how would you know what's good and what's bad? You know? Um, yeah. Exactly. It's, and that's where it's a little bit tricky. It's like, yes, please feel free to complain about the localization, but unfortunately you haven't played the game yet. So you don't know if I'm right or wrong. And, you know, you're supposed to be the best judge of what you can enjoy. Um, I know what my tolerance level is for things. Um, you obviously know what your tolerance is for things. But you should never tell the reviewers how they should think or feel about something. We are human beings. <laughs> we, we don't like to just poo-poo on every game. I mean, I know everybody thinks I like to poo-poo on every game that I play. But uh, it's only because usually I get dealt a bad hand. <laughs> and you, Michael Apps, are number two usually getting dealt a bad hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Between the two of us, I mean, sometimes I think souls. we take, I think we take too many for the team. Oh, I'm I'm doing time in eternity, buddy. I I, I feel your pain oh, already. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. All right. So there's our artinelical wrap up. Um, so let's put it this way: two, absolutely play it. One, find it cheap, play it. It's great. Three, uh, if someone gives it to you. Yeah, if someone gives it to you, play it. But honestly. If you play it, do yourself a favor, play the Finnal path and not the Saki path, because yeah. the Saki path will give you nightmares for the rest of your life. <laughs> Honestly, in the case of three, I would say um, track down the vocal soundtrack and enjoy that instead. And never do not even think about <laughs> what game is attached to it. Exactly. I mean... Yeah, the, that game does have some of the uh, more strange uh tracks in the in the in, uh, in the music for that series strange in like, a good way not strange in a bad way not at all i mean yeah. this is the three is the one i would say that actually has i think the most unique soundtrack of the of the bunch um and it's not bad whatsoever it's just definitely i found like there was a lot more jazz influence in it there was a lot more unique instruments being used and um it's just really fantastic to listen to and that's really the strength of these games uh is the use of music um i think they do such a tremendous job at incorporating music as being um a nice focal point for the plot to move hmm. for all Some, of them something oh. that more series need to take note of music is a very important and uh, oftentimes that can make or break a game and i think a lot of times uh too many games just kind of phone that in Alrighty, well, thank you all so much. Uh, Miss uh, Miss Marshmallow has to head on off here, so thank you very much, Sam. The show wouldn't have been the same without you. In fact, it would have been a very short show. Um, um, I do my best. <laughs> I'm sure the Artinelico police will be after me after this episode goes up. Yes, and y'all yeah. can't write her. I don't at think s- they have jurisdiction in y- Canada. You'll be fine. Y'all can write her at sam.marshmallow at rpgamer.com. 
There we go. We're not telling people my real email, obviously, because that could be a bad sign. Uh, you, can in- send, <laughs> you can send your hate to wheels at rpgamer.com. If I get any hate mail, I will gladly it. send it to you. If they, if they write it to Sam Marshmallow, it's going to bounce back at him. So. No, but in all fairness, you know, if you have any thoughts on this series, you know, do send them to Ask Wheels because the guy is wonderful at what he does. And you. you know what? The more content you give him, um, the more entertainment I get. <laughs> uh, and by the way, enter his class of heroes two contest. Yes, please do. Um, I don't know if I should say support Vic Ireland, but I guess you could support Vic Ireland. Because well, imagine mean, if he localized these games, people. I, I mean, I guess this way, um, I'll be the one paying for it, and the the uh, readers won't be giving him any money. I guess. Uh, look at it that way. It's all uh, good. Alrighty, cool beans. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you again. Uh, Thank you again so much, Sam. And uh, for the rest of y'all, hold on tight through this musical selection. Uh, We're gonna be right back with a blast from the recent past.
we're ready to do our Blast from the Recent Past segment, that's where we talk about games that came out about this time two years ago so that you can decide whether or not you want to go back, buy them on sale, and uh, play them or add them to your backlog or just avoid them entirely. And ironically enough, we have a game from uh, two of those categories today. (laughs) Two of the opposite sides of the categories. So uh, since we'll save the best for last, we'll start off talking about the worst first. Uh, Dungeons Dragons Daggerdale was released for the PC, the PlayStation 3, and the Xbox 360. It was developed uh, and published by Atari and released uh, sometime in the spring of 2011. I don't remember the exact date. And, well, it says actually May 24th over here, so it was around May 24th. And I'm a huge pen and paper fan, as most of you know. I play a lot of Pathfinder. I'm actually the regional organizer for Pathfinder Society Organized Play. And I'm always excited uh, when we start talking about the computer adaptations of pen and paper games, regardless of which system they come from. Because pen and paper systems tend to be a lot deeper uh, than the shoot-from-the-hip JRPG counterparts. Um Dungeon Dragons uh, Daggerdale, though, was held back by a huge number of flaws, and it's kind of disappointing, because when you think about D&D role-playing games on your PlayStation 3, or, uh, not PlayStation 3, PC especially, I should go to PC, because that's where we got the most of them at, you think about games like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Neverwinter Nights, and even uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which used a D20 system, so that was based off of uh, D&D uh, 3.5's system. All those were really, really great games, uh, developed notably by uh, BioWare. Uh, Now, BioWare left that real set behind in coming up with its future games such as um, Drag... What was that game called again? Dragon Dragon Age. Thank you! Sorry, had a brain fart there. (laughs) But but Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition is an updated rule set that made... Uh, that originally made D&D more, uh, their idea was to make D&D more accessible in the hopes of sparking new interest uh, in tabletop gaming. And Dungeons & Dragons da- Daggerdale would be the, the first video game attempt to make use of these new rules. Now, this is, this is pretty ironic because in the pen and paper circles, for all of you people who aren't in them, uh, when, when they went from the 3.5 to the 4.0 rule set, uh, the boys and girls at Wizards of the Coast went in an entirely new direction. They threw out the rulebook. E- each version of D&D up until that time had basically been an evolution of the version behind it. So it was pretty easy to take your old heroes and books and adventures and use them in the newer rule sets. They were indeed just versions, you know, they were worthy of just having separate version numbers. They weren't that big of a deal. But uh, D&D 4th edition, it was like they totally scrapped the uh, rule book, threw it out, and created a brand new system. And in trying to appeal to a more mass audience, they put in a lot of mechanics that, for lack of a better description, were made to appeal to a more computer and MMO uh, RPG mindset. So there's a lot of mechanics in that pen and paper game that look like they ripped out of a playbook from World of Warcraft. Now, I'm not here to talk about whether that's bad or good or indifferent. We could have a, a huge debate about that on forums, and we've had, there have been many debates about that on the forums. <laughs> but um, what's ironic is that, uh, is that since we're taking uh, some pages and clues from games like World of Warcraft and such in order to make the pen and paper more appealing to a mass community, you would think that – 
in turn turning that around and making that into a video game uh, translation would work even better. Uh, especially given that when you think about games like, I mean, when I think about games, like, hey, I'm a, I'm a D&D fan. And when I think about games like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and things like that, those, those are really great RPGs. But I'll be the first one to admit that it's not the game system themselves that make those great RPGs. Those are because of the stories and the characters. So having a, a game system that's built from the ground up for this new generation of audience sounds awfully appealing. Unfortunately, the execution is where this thing completely and utterly falls flat. When we think of pen and paper games, we think about lots of choices, lots of decisions. The very first decision you make in Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Daggerdale, will let you know there's something amiss because you only get to make... Uh, you only get to choose from four of the eight <laughs> basic classes that come in the ba- most basic Dungeon Dragons book. We're not even getting into uh, any of the expansion books or anything along those lines. Um, yeah, any of you who've played pen and paper, fantasy, anything, it's been a very long time since you've only had four choices. We're talking like, I think the very first edition had four choices. Uh, so, and, and I'm sure somebody will quote me and say, no, Phil, you're wrong, there was more, so... Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad that the video, the first video game only gives you four choices. Um, the game only caps out at level 10, um, and you probably won't even make it that far because, uh, you know, uh, looking over Adrian's review, uh, he beat the game before he made it to level 8. That's always a huge <laughs> disappointment. I, in Dungeon Dragons, oh. yeah, in Dungeon Dragons, the top level is usually considered 20. I'm not sure about 4th edition, but the vast majority of pen and paper in Dungeon Dragons games have been... You know, top level 20. I remember when Dungeon Dragons uh, Temple of Elemental Evil was released by Atari almost a decade before this. And I remember how disappointed I was to hear that the game caps out at level 10. Um, Baldur's Gate caps out at level 7, but they would eventually uh, release a second game and expansion packs to raise that cap up. So it wasn't such a big deal. Same thing with the Gold Box games. Um, but Daggerdale, yeah, stops you at 8. And Trust me, there's not going to be an expansion because it just stinks that bad. Because not only do we have these lazy uh, design decisions, limited customization options that really shouldn't be in a, you know, in a pen and paper should be open. Um, and the fact that each of the classes has a preset race, gender, and appearance, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> eliminating any, you know, eliminating the fact that you're trying to make this character your own, like you would in a pen and paper game where you have tons of choices. Dragon Dale goes out of its way to reduce those those choices to just four quick decisions, or four, uh, decision between four classes. But as if all that wasn't bad enough, D&D Dag- Daggerdale is also known for its ton and ton of bugs. Now, it's not unusual in role-playing games to have to kill lots of bugs, but unfortunately these are types of bugs that stop your game in your tracks regardless of how strong your hero is or how intelligent your wizard may be because these are the kinds that break your game. So, um, yeah, that, that, we're talking like people being locked out, con- uh, controls being locked out, um, losing control of your movement, uh, being able, unable to open up your menus, uh, being unable to change your key bindings and buttons not responding. Yeah, all of that and more. You can practically see the cockroaches you know, crawling across the screen. It was clear that this game was rushed. It was made lazily and, uh, and, and just absolutely sucks because of it. Um, uh, so there's there's definitely hints of promise in there, but nothing that's worth your time just because uh, the execution has just fallen so completely 
flat on its face. For more information, go to rpgamer.com and just look up Daggerdale to see um, Adrian Denalden's full review of this game. But I can tell you, as a person who watched this game in development very closely and read a lot of reviews afterwards, I did not bother wasting my own time on it because it was unanimous across the board. This this game was really, really poorly uh, rushed, designed, and executed, and all that other fun stuff. So I know Apps is going to buy his copy right now. Yes. yes, sir. Yes. All right. I, I'm telling you, if you're if you're a huge Dungeon Dragons fan and you're looking for something along, and this was more of an actiony game too, you might be better off with the online game. To be honest, and it's a free to play now, so it's not too bad. Uh, I played it a bit. It, it's cute. Um, okay. Now let's go to something we say the best for last type of thing. Let's talk about. The Witcher 2, Assassin of Kings. The Witcher 2 was released on the PC and the Xbox 360, developed by CD Project Red. This was published by Atari on the PC and Warner Brothers on the Xbox 360. This was released in North America on April the 17th and May the 17th, depending on which system you're looking at. And this is a very excellent RPG experience. Prefer, I probably would say, if you can, if you got your choice and you got a decent rig, go for the PC version. Uh, but if you don't, the Xbox 360 version isn't that is is pretty good too, is from what I understand. I do not have an Xbox 360. I played it on the PC, and I got it from our good friends at GOG.com, who does not pay me for advertisement, but I continuously plug them anyways because they're just that awesome. Ah, Witcher 2, and that that yeah, and this is one of the non-retro games you'll find on their website because uh, the same company that owns GOG is the one who made Witcher 2. But So you all have heard me gush about Witcher 1 before. One of my favorite games. I reviewed it, gave it like a 4.0, 4.5 on RP Gamer. Didn't review Witcher 2 cause I, uh, because I don't do reviews anymore. But Witcher 2, it's very, very fun RPG. Um, none of y'all played this one, by the way? I played it a little bit, uh, but... A something or other distracted me, and I wasn't able to uh, fully dig into it what? just yet. Something else distruct you and pulled you away from this tale filled with political intrigue, characters yeah, with real and understandable motivations, murder, and sex? I mean, come on. What else is there to lie? Not, not lie. Come on. Get back to it right I now. I, I liked it. I can All tell right. you that. All right. Get back to I it. I will get back to it at some All point right. for sure. Well, Mr. Apps has many, many games that uh, <laughs> remain unfinished at this point, right? This is true. Yeah, that's okay. I'm in the same boat with him. <laughs> I didn't quite get through this game either, so I'm just as bad. I just like to, <laughs> I just like to pick on you. It's what I do. That's true. Okay. I, I can't say it is somewhat depressing that I have finished New Gen Souls, but not The Witcher 2. That is kind of depressing now I think about it. Yeah. Well, if you had been assigned to review The Witcher 2, you might have finished it, right? That's, that is a good point. That is a good point. Instead, you were assigned to review Mugen, Mugen, however we pronounce that word, Souls. Which, yes. uh, well, it, it is a game. And I think if you were it, to directly compare it to The Witcher 2, you would probably find that Mugen Souls comes off the worst. The nicest thing I can say about Mugen Souls is that it is a game. Oh, jeez. Okay, this is not the Muted Show podcast. (laughs) 
You guys, you're so bad. No, we, are, we are praising The Witcher 2, right? Yes, that's right. No, no okay, that's better. The Witcher right. 2 Witcher better 2. Souls. Oh, jeez, oh, Pete. Why don't you just say it's better than the crap in my cat's litter box? Don't do that to The Witcher 2. It doesn't deserve that. So The Witcher 2, for the three people on the earth who haven't played or heard of it or whatever have you, is is a really great RPG. It tells a story, like I just said earlier, you got a lot of adult themes in it, the political entry, real and understandable characters with motivations that actually seem to matter. I mean, this is the complete opposite of the artistical squeaky girls and giggling all the time and, you know, kind of joking about sex. In The Witcher 2, you're actually doing sex. You're actually, you know, very immature themes all the way through. And it's and it's unlike, you know, in some games when there's uh, themes of or themes of murder or sex or, or along those lines, especially in RPGs, they can feel very, um, they can't, they can feel, heck, they are, they, uh, a lot of them are very just immature in how they handle it, especially when they're coming from Japan. Um, in Witcher 2, everything is is handled very maturely. It's very believable. The characters uh, the all have depth. Was developed uh, by some people in Poland, right? You're right. Okay. Right, and it's based off of a real series of books, which I don't understand why more RPGs don't kind of follow along with this because it gives the uh, people who develop the games, uh, you know, this direct source of material that they can they build from rather than reinventing a, a wheel, you know, from scratch. And, uh, I mean, it absolutely shows when you're talking with the various characters, getting to know them. Uh, when they're sitting around having a conversation, the dialogue is just – it's just absolutely fascinating. You just want to sit there and listen because it's so it's so believable. And, you know, setting aside, you could uh, – as I said uh, on Witcher 1, it's the same thing with Witcher 2 um, – you can you 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 can feel like this is a conversation you're having with the guys around the bar, you know, wherever you're at. I mean, like there's foul, like for example, there's there's foul language in there, but it's 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 like realistically used. It's not just like in some of the games where it's thrown at every other word just to get that M rating. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel forced. It feels like Sony's localization of that game we talked about earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So everything there has a has a reason and a place. Um, there the combat is kind of real time like the first one. They've made some significant changes and tweaks to it. Uh, you can only do the potions and stuff before the battle. There's still the toxicity system where if you drink too many, you you start um, having some ill effects. Just like if you had too many drugs all at once. Um, you can't use potions in battles, which is a little jarring. Uh, no whipping up that healing potion for a quick. You know, pick me up in the middle of a fight. So if you die in that battle, you end up, you know, loading up and, and resaving. Um, some people, most notably our own editor in chief, had an issue with some of the awkward and cumbersome controls, as he calls them. Says that it kind of created a disservice for the game um, that focuses on strategic combat. So when you have a control issue with a real time game that's supposed to be strategic in fighting, uh, when Geralt doesn't move as fast or as accurately as he should, uh, that or heaven forbid there's input lag, that can become very frustrating very quickly. Looking and doing a little research on some other reviews, not everyone should con- uh, share those concerns, uh, but they are littered out here and there. So your mileage may vary uh, 
um, based. I don't. Uh, I don't know if Michael did he review the Xbox version. Yes, he reviewed the Xbox version. And I did not do enough research to tell you if that's just something with the Xbox version or if that's also inherent with the PC version. Um, I would love to see your comments on our forums to kind of clear that one up. But uh, regardless, you'll even if the combat is a little frustrating at times, um, you will want to continue to get reload and just get back into it just to get through to the story, anyways. So it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, even even Mr. Cunningham says that he remembers all the characters uh, fondly from The Witcher Two that he interacted with, and I guarantee you that is what you will experience if you play The Witcher Two. It's it's one of the most memorable. I, I mean, I play a lot of RPGs, and I mean, there's some RPGs that stand out because of their combat system. Uh, there's few char- a few games in my mind that stick out because of a really great plot and characters, and you get both of those in The Witcher Two. So uh, definitely worth uh, checking out. And that is it for, unless y'all have any, no, don't ask me any questions. Um, <laughs> that is it for a blast of recent, pla- <laughs> what? You're sure? Yeah, no, no, I don't want no questions, no. No more, no more questions. It's pretty, too. Very, very gorgeous. Very pretty. They did, they, I mean, the first one was, was not, I don't know, I didn't really feel like the first one was graphically impressive. Impressive, though the first one did make my my older machine chug down a bit, as if it should have been impressive, but it wasn't. Uh, the second one is much, much, much prettier to look at. I mean, the graphics will just, you know, absolutely pop out at you. Um, it is rare that uh, you know RPGs really push the graphics that hard outside of something like a Mass Effect or something. Um, or but- what Square's been doing lately. What Square's been trying to do lately? Well, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll give Square this: the the games that have been coming out on console lately, and pretty much anything, they do look good. I personally do like the look of Thirteen um, and the such, but um, not, not like everybody I, agrees I can't with us. Say much because I haven't actually played them, but they do look like. Oh, they they do, especially when they're actually in motion on the PlayStation. I mean, I've I've I know some people don't like those those games, linear or something or rather, but man, they're so pretty <laughs> uh, really pushed that playstation um hardware i think personally but whatever um you know witcher witcher 2 is a different type of pre there's more detail in the environment that i would think than what i would see i think final fantasy 13 is just very well designed witcher 2 it's pretty well designed as well but it's, it's more of a realistic look which is harder to pull off uh so i don't want to compare and compare, contrast all night but it is it is uh, just high res textures, very pretty, f- uh, just fun to, to to look at as well as play. So check it out, Witcher Two, and you can get it on GOG dot uh, com for twenty dollars. And if you get that PC version, uh, it does not off of um, GOG dot com. You can probably find it on Steam as well. But I would always go for the GOG version. They have a ton of extras, including wallpapers, high quality art books that may or may not have nudity in them, and. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the best part of all is no DRM when you buy it off of GOG.com. So uh, that's always my biggest bonus. I, I can't stand DRM. Well, obviously, Microsoft and GOG will not be getting along, though. No, no. And and if we were certain other podcasts, we could talk all night about the Xbox One. Um, we will do that. But, <laughs> but we don't need to do that right now. No, no. But we might do that in the final lap where we throw everything in but the kitchen sink. Uh, but before we do that, I think we have another song from the Artinelical series. So why don't you kick back and listen to this little ditty. We'll return. Oh, 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 oh. 
This is where we just kind of do a lot of our kitchen sink stuff, talk about what we're doing, playing, thinking about, read your comments, and much more. You can leave your comments at board.rpgamer.com or just go to rpgamer.com and click on the forum link. We have links for all of our shows on there somewhere. Or you can just click on the RPG Backtrack link. That's the way I usually do it. If you click on the RPG Backtrack link... You'll find them that way. You'll find them that way. And, that, and that's pretty cool because you can quickly find the thread for um, each show separately. So Yeah, uh, our latest episode only went up uh, about, what, about 10 six minutes hours ago? ago. 10 minutes ago. Yeah, it's okay. So um, we haven't had any comments yet because... And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit why that took so long to get up there yet. Yeah, so we have no comments to read on that one yet. Uh, but uh, when I talk about what I've been doing, I'll, I'll mention that a little bit. But let's talk about what we're doing next. RPG Backtrack number 95 is coming up sooner than you may expect. I don't know. This is... We're, we're going to be... What's it called? Central Middle Earth. We're going to be talking about a lot of Lord of the Rings games. Uh, boy, a lot of Lord... How many Lord of... Good grief, man. Where'd you find so, all these games? So let me put it this way. Do you really want to do more than one Lord of the Rings episode? We, I, most of these we can just get through pretty fast, I think. Okay, doke. Um... So that's uh, that's going to be coming up in the month of June, and followed up after that, we'll be talking about some uh, some more all the non tactical Disgaea games. tactical games from NIS. Yeah, La Pucelle, Phantom Brave, McKay Kingdom, and Soul Nomad in the World of Years. I played a couple of those. Mister Abs, I know you've played at least one of those. Yes, primarily Phantom Brave. And if you can play any Soul Nomad before that episode happens, that would be great because apparently almost no one has played that and admits to it anymore. <laughs> I will give it a try. We had we had a couple of comments on Twitter. I, I've 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 been trying to be a better Twitter person. So what I, I think I mentioned this on the last show. I don't remember, but I've eliminated all my friends off of my Facebook. I'm down to like 30 friends now. I used to have like over I don't know 80 or so. I've trimmed. I've trimmed that down because I really just want that to be relatives and super, super close friends who I talk to on a regular basis uh, due to some misunderstandings and get most of my listeners and the such, you know, on Twitter or emailing directly works really great. You can email me at jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. Um, Anywho, uh, we do have some. I do have some Twitter. We we had some Twitter comments because we had Mr. Greg Cummings asking us about uh, Brig Brigandine, the tactical RPG from the PlayStation One days. Yes, I know what it is, and I know that unless someone is uh, willing to fund me playing the thing, it is unlikely that I will get to it anytime soon because the eBay prices on that thing are high. We're mm-hmm. looking at at least seventy bucks, probably more. And I know I I sometimes drop that with no hesitation, but uh, I'm a little more hesitant in this case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking over, it is not a game that I played myself when it came out. I had a PlayStation One, and I was into you know whatever games were out at the time. Final Fantasy VII and such was one of the first ones. Of course, you jumped out and got. But I also noticed that after Final Fantasy VII, there was a glut of you know weaker or mediocre or even some out some some outright poor. Um, 
games, RPGs and the such in its wake trying to bank off of its success. And when I saw the reviews on that particular game, it looked mediocre at best and in some people's viewpoints just really poor. So I, I took a pass on it. And then, you know, later on when I became more of a collector in my PlayStation 2 days and went back through the PlayStation 1 choices to see if I had missed up on anything, not to mention I had more income. Um, <laughs> I went back and I was like, oh, dang, this thing just rose up to the 80 to $100 range. And for the reviews it had, it did not seem to justify that kind of expenditure. So our advice was to steer clear of it, and our uh, Twitter fan agreed with us. So thank you for your comments, uh, Mr. Greg. And he's uh, he's, uh, he's got a comment on here that he's looking forward uh, to our next RPG at Backtrack, which we just mentioned went up just a few hours ago. Um, actually, he wrote this on today. So I don't know if he meant this one that we're recording now or the one that you just posted up. <laughs> I probably both. Probably he both. No, he noticed that I was trying to fervently to get Mr. Apps on here because without him, this would have been a much quieter episode. Been <laughs> would have been very one side. And you know, I I just I just want to take a moment to applaud you know the RP Gamer staff that comes on and does these shows with us because um, I, I without y'all this this show would not be happening. It certainly would not be happening with uh, me by myself. And uh, you know, may, me and Mr. Minky be very one side because Mr. Minky would do most of the talking. <laughs> Especially if I haven't played the game, because I'm I'm really loquacious in that case. Well, and I think what's frustrating, you know, for me sometimes I played the game, but I just don't remember these plot details and characters to the degree that you know some of y'all do. It's just uncanny how well you guys can talk about, and it gets me want to go back and play again. And like, man, I missed out on some of this great stuff you guys are talking about. Um, so that's what I get for playing like at ten, ten thirty at night when I'm all teary eyed and about to go to bed. I just I just have a really bad memory. Um, but it is time for another one of my top 10 entries, and I do not have a bad memory when it comes to this game, because it was just so good. Of course, every game on the top 10 list is super good, and you guys might even have some good memories about this game. So, I mentioned before, I can only, uh, in doing this top 10 list, which I'm doing this as we count down to our 100th uh, episode, which is coming up in just a few months. We're just, we're just cruising. Oh my gosh. So you can only include one from each series. I can only include one. That is the rule. We can only do one from each series. And so we're up to number seven on my list. And this one is from the Dragon Quest series. Now there's a lot of good games in the Dragon Quest series. I'm going to guess it's not seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, seven was really close. I mean, you got all those classes to pick from. And can't you be a shepherd in that one? I mean, you could just be everything in that one. It's just, it's just incredible. Can you? Because, you know, I played like 30 hours into that, and I didn't get the option to do any of that. It's crazy you sick. Put, you put how many hours in? 30? Oh, come on. That's a drop in the bucket, man. That's like saying you put 30 hours in a World of Warcraft. I mean, Dragon Quest Seven is like the World of Warcraft single-player version, anyways, of the Dragon of the Dragon Quest series. It's huge. I mean, I 120 hours minimum just to get through that game. I'm sure. Man, you need more dedication. You need to man up. Yeah, clearly you need to put at least the 50 or so hours necessary to reach the job system. Because clearly, so. Well, Dragon Quest did does do nice job systems. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't really like a, a lot of uh, traditional JRPGs, as most of y'all know. But there's a there's a couple series that uh, that you know stand out. Usually because they broke in the mold. I mentioned Chrono Trigger last uh, last week um, because among other things, memorable characters, um, a time twisting plot that I can actually wrap my head around, uh, and you know battle mechanics that for its time were were very original. I don't even think it's really been done much these days. Being 
being able to combo attacks and stuff was really, really great. Dragon Quest series, it doesn't matter which game you pick from the series, these games are as traditional as they come. They pride themselves, the Dragon Quest series prides itself on buy the book JRPG experience. I mean, heck, you got to go back to a church to save in every one of these games. It's that bad. Uh, I mean, it's as bad as buy the book JRPGs you can get. And yet, somehow, the you know that is the one series that I don't really mind that. Any other series bores me to death. But Dragon Quest games tend to be tight enough in the gameplay department to where you actually got to pay attention during battles. Uh, yeah, it's attack, attack, and heal still, but if you slip up too much, the dungeons will pwn you. Um, and some of them give you more decisions than others, which makes them more interesting. So, um, Dragon Quest Four, as I told you, was the one I, I played and beat on the Nintendo. I love that game to death. But ultimately, it falls short in a couple of key areas, keeping it from the top spot, which goes to Dragon Quest Eight. Ah, yes, Dragon Quest Eight. Mm. Y'all played that one? Mm. I have not yet. <gasps> Honestly, well, that'll be fixed, Bill. I, honestly, if, uh, we will do part three of our Dragon Quest backtracks um honestly i don't know when i guess it depends on if we get seven on the 3ds because then it will be much more accessible for me to play rather than sinking 110 hours onto the tv again (laughs) well i don't it doesn't take 110 hours mr michael tidwell when he did his review said that only took 105 (laughs) (gasps) wow Uh, that makes the difference right there so you can knock this. We just shaved a whole four percent off of that time. You, I think you can knock this out, man. You can totally can. knock this out. I can totally do it in a marathon session. Watch me do it in a marathon session, and then when I collapse and I'm taken to the hospital because I'm seeing things involuntarily, you can tell all those hospital custodians and doctors looking at me and wondering how I managed to keep myself up so long. It was for the RPG backtrack. Uh, so when they donate my body to science. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dragon Dragon Quest games are those rare breed of of traditional JRPGs that I can usually hang for that long with, or I can actually get all the way through. They just they just kind of pull you in for a number of reasons. Dragon Quest Eight just exemplifies all of that and much much more. Um, the you got in Dragon Quest Eight more so than any other game that I played in the series. You've got characters that you care about; they're likable characters. Um, a lot of voice acting in a game which really helps out with that uh, good voice acting um i'm really bad with names so i can't remember the little guy with the with the accent but he was hilarious uh yangus yeah name? sure i i take your word for it because i'm really bad with names mr apps have you played it can you yes. can you spot check me here yes. is it yangus, yangus. Yes, thanks did you like his i liked his axe i don't know I, i'm just I a sucker i thought he was hilarious as hell well you know phil from glancing at Hardcore Gaming, which is a great site, I learned that the Japanese version had no voice acting. Ooh, that is we, hardcore. We got the better version. Oh, man, we did. That's, that's true. It also did not have an orchestral soundtrack. Ooh, get out, because the soundtrack was awesome. Yeah, yeah it had the standard uh, synthesized MIDI stuff. Or I don't know if it was MIDI, but it was still synthesized. Um, yeah, hmm. Um, so... The characters are really awesome. There's a there's a, a good storyline. Um, most JRPGs, the storylines, I could give a flying flip less about. Uh, they're the typical, you know, hero's going to save the world and, you know, get super powerful and big head along the way, blah, 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 blah. Um, whereas in Dragon Quest VIII, you're playing the hero and he wants to serve the, the king. Did he talk? He didn't talk. He's another one of the no. silent heroes, isn't no, he? No, the, the Dragon Quest hero never Did, talks. They never talk. No, he, he had no, otherwise I'd remember his accent. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> 
Um, but he wants to serve uh, the king, get the curse broken, um, so he can return home, be human, and his castle and kingdom will be restored to the formal glory. Um, you know, th- there may be some saving the world after all, but but th- that's not what they're out to do. It's just it's just more believable for some silly reason um, along those lines. But the character is much more fun uh, during the uh, during the during the during the journey. You, you like listening to them and talking with them. It just makes the journey so much more worth it. Um, lots of uh, monsters, good monster variety in the game, and that leads us to the the graphics. Everything just looks absolutely great. Cell shaded graphics, something that uh, level five you know does a really great job with. Um, you know. It just uh, you have to go look at the screenshots. Up to this day, it still looks great, and that's cell. Sh- We've said this before. When we go back and do retro gaming, um, the 2D graphics and cell shaded graphics hold up a lot better than your typical 3D, especially when you're trying to make them look realistic. You know, type of graphics. So this one holds up very, very well at age. You can you can pop it in, and it's not quite up there with um, Wrath of the uh, White Queen or whatever that one, that, the Studio Ghibli one that just came out. But it's you know, yeah, but it's pretty darn close. It's so pretty. Yeah, the new Cooney, right? Um, it's just, it's just absolutely gorgeous. The gameplay, of course, when you're playing 105 hours, you need more than than pretty colors and stuff to keep you interested. The gameplay is tight. It is challenging. This game, unlike most RPG JRPGs, where you can just either fall asleep or level a little bit and fall asleep, uh, you will not do that in this game. You have to pay attention. Um, yeah, death. If I remember correctly, see, you are going to lose some gold. So, I mean, on the on death means something in this game because if your party wipes, you will return back. You lose with, half your money with half your money exactly. So, on one hand, on one hand, it stings, and you will be on the edge of your seat trying not to die because it means something. But on the other hand, it's not so penalizing that that you're instantly going to hit the reset button and feel like you've wasted all your time. You'll be able to make that decision if if you happen to have a death, and it will be a hard decision to make. Uh, store your money away or spend it whenever you can, boys and girls. Don't walk around with crap loads of cash in your pocket, just saying. Um, <laughs> so, super great Thanks music. exist for a reason. Yes, they do. Super great graphics, really great music, uh, tight gameplay that you will be paying attention to. You will be on the edge of your seat, despite the fact that it's a turn-based traditional uh, JR RPG system. I won't spend all the time going into like the tension mechanics and such. Um, but I mean, traditional Japanese JRPG system. You will level up. You won't get a lot of decisions in leveling up. I think I got to put a stat somewhere once in a while. But you're going to get your spells automatically at certain levels, your or your skills or, or whatever have you. Um, that sounds pretty linear. Sounds like a reason. Not, no, trust me. You will want to still play this. It is it is just really really cool and colorful. Awesome monsters. I mean, they just did such a great job. The, the slimes are so they're always cute. But the, there's so many other cool little monsters. And if you're a fan of the series, seeing them in that hand-drawn, cell-shaded style on the, you know, on the television, it's such a huge, huge jump from the one that came before at 7. I, just absolutely huge. I mean, I liked 7's battle graphics okay. I mean, they were... The battle graphics in seven, anyways, were 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 decent enough, but eight just blows it all out of the water. So solid storyline, realistic uh, characters uh, fighting. Uh, as Mike, I'm looking at Mike Tuol's uh, review to help me remember a few things, but <laughs> he says realistic characters fighting unrealistic monsters, and that's absolutely <laughs> right. 
This game is designed to capture... Well, well realistic in the Akira Toriyama design sense. Yep. And, and just like Ninukuni, I think this game's designed to capture your mind and heart of the player and let you live in the world. Yeah, that's the other thing. When you're running around the world, it's from that 3D behind-the-shoulder uh, third-person perspective, and you do get kind of sucked into it. I mean, the world's just so beautiful, uh, beautifully done. Similar, I think, you know, to like World of Warcraft. The World of Warcraft is not in any means... Uh, the cutting-edge graphics anymore. It wasn't when it came out, and it certainly isn't now. But the world is so colorful and so well-drawn and designed and, and, and the such that it works pretty well. And it's the same case here. So check it. You know it's really funny, Mike. I just figured I'd bring this up. But um, you know, Mike Tidwell <laughs> gave it a 5.0. That's like as high as you can get, right? That is. And you know who gave it the lowest score of all? A cursed 4.0? L- let me think. Could it be... Someone whose name is taken from a water mammal? It just might be. <laughs> huh. Gosh, I, I have no idea who this could be. It, clearly, it's no one who has ever come out to be a complete jackass in our company before. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. Okay. That's Clunk- in Water Buffalo? Clunky interface and control? It's a turn-based bat? What What the hell are you controlling? What? He's running what? around the world. What do you mean clunky? And- Voice acting can be grading. It's one of the best parts of the game. Turn your thing on mute if you want and just read the text. It's there, but it's it's the best part. Okay, we, we're done there. Okay, we're moving. Well you, well, you know what? That just reminds me of how this person scores often do not match his text. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, so... Okay, so... Um, Dragon Quest VIII's my number seven pick. Uh, number eight was Chrono Trigger. Number nine was Zelda Link to the Past. And the very uh, first game that was officially on my list, the number ten entry, Wizardry 8, and I can't help but make mention, but there's a huge news release for fans of retro RPGs everywhere. Well, computer RPGs specifically. Oh my gosh, I had an orgasm, and I posted it on the forum, so if you kept it with the forums, you already know what I'm going to tell you. But Wizardry, yes. I saw it. You saw it. Did you have an orgasm with No, you didn't. You don't care about Wizardry. You should. You like Dungeon Not Crawlers. It. Phil, if I have a nerdgasm about everything, then I'll fall over dead, and you'll have to conduct the show on your own, because it's too hard anymore, man. Bones, what happened? Damn it, Jim. He died from too many nerdgasms. I can hear it now. I'm a doctor man, not a fanboy. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Wizardry 6, 7, and 8 have been released on GOG.com. I have had that. I've been one of those people that helped petition for that. Uh, You guys have heard me. Well, heck, you just heard me say it a few weeks ago how much I love Wizardry 8. Go back a few shows. Listen to all the reasons I love that game. I did pop 6, 7. I bought them all. 6 and 7 is sold for, I think, $5.99. Wizardry 8 is a standalone at, uh, let me just double check real fast. Oh, it doesn't show me the price because I already bought it. But I think it's like $9.99. I didn't know. I didn't care. They could have charged me $40. I would have paid it. Um... Wizardry, Wizardry, (laughs) so I play them all on Windows XP, and Wizardry 6 works, Uh, that's going through a DOS emulator, that's how the GOG boys do it, Um, I will tell you in all truthful and faithfulness that that's from 1993, I think is the original release, 1992, 1991, no, 1990, hell, you gotta go way back, so... This one, Phil, we actually do not know much about, because Becky and her sister did not go back that far, they only talked about 7 and 8 when we did the Wizardry episode last year. And I can tell you why, no, just, first, (laughs) let me, you know, Mike, you remember how much we love to talk about that one DS game that you and I both reviewed that start with the letters DS? 
Oh, gosh. Are you talking about a game with lots of hidden walls and lots of enemies that can kill you even though you're really good, theoretically, and lots of secrets that you have to guess? You got it, Mike. And uh, let me tell you how Wizardry 6 brings back those memories. I booted up the game. I started with the default party. I'm just going around trying to open up doors with its very clunky DOS-based interface when they first were just figuring out what a mouse is and how that should work. So you're clicking all over things trying to get things to work, and, and they're not the, the clicky-clickies aren't working where you would hope that they would work. But, but you get past that. You start opening up doors, and you fight. Get this, Mike. Five bats. Ooh. Oh, and, yeah. Are, what are they going to do? Are they going to fly around and maybe uh, squeak at you? You know, you would think, Mr. Minky, but do you know what these bats ask you to do? They ask uh, you to turn around, bend over, and pull down your pants. So, these are uncharacteristically <laughs> deviant bats. They are uncharacteristically deadly bats because my entire first group, only two people got out alive. And death in Wizardry Boys and Girls... <laughs> At that low level is pretty permanent, and looking over the instruction book, even if you can, even if you've got the means to raise dead, wizardry is so old school that when you do, you lose a point of vitality permanently. So, and, and there's apparently a chance that you may not come back at all, from what I understand. So this is they are taking a lot of pages. Wizardry is clearly pulling a lot of inspiration from uh, the old D and D system. Uh, armor class uh, goes into the negatives as it gets better, uh, rather than a positive value. So that's clearly inspired from the uh, AD and D uh, battle system. But they've also clearly built on that as well. There's a uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that are underneath the hood and you can read the instruction it's almost worth paying 5.99 though just to read those old instruction books so that's that's wizardry 6 wizardry how many pages six, is the instruction book uh it was around 70 ish uh from what i remember when i was reading you through it last night you don't see that at all and it's very deep it's very thick it's very you better read that book before you even start playing and even after you've read that book you better maybe read it back Keep it or around two. as a reference yeah and that was the problem with dark spires that they try to give you a game that that is that deep and complicated but without the instructions the deep and complicated is there instructions a class change moment in wizardry six there is mr minky uh, is it explained in the manual but not in the game so that you really need to have the manual around you know i'm gonna have to look that up oh mr apps is not feeling good because we're we're beating up <laughs> I, I didn't know that wizardry 6 was one of your pet projects uh, i'm sorry i haven't even played it it's just reminding me of the dark spire i know that's what i popped it in i was like oh we're gonna have to talk about dark spire I, I'm sorry if it made you sick, Apps. No, you did not. Although you did remind me of El Menage a little bit. <laughs> but uh, you guys have a good night. All right, have a right, good, good one. Good night. Thanks for Thanks. being here. Yeah, absolutely. No so the next one was Wizardry 7. I popped that in. And it actually, when you download the file from GOG, you're getting 6 and you're getting the gold version of 7, which is the Windows, I think it was 95 release or so. Now they've got that to work, supposedly, but here's my problem. When I booted it up, the introduction goes at like one frame per second. And it's very, it, it takes forever for things to kind of get going and the such. Um, and I thought maybe once you got past the introduction, which literally took me 15 minutes, that maybe maybe it was just a one-time thing. And once I saved, you know, started a game and saved it and stuff, I could just skip past it. Nope. 
I can't find any key anywhere on the keyboard that gets past it. Some people in the forums made it look like that. It only does it once, but on my computer, it keeps doing it all the time. So maybe somebody could help me out there. So I went back. Apparently, as an extra download under the extra section of your GOG, when you buy it, there's always uh, you can always download extras, like the instruction books, which really shouldn't be an extra. should be mandatory. Um, it'll have, like, you know, graphics and stuff you can download. One of those is the DOS version of the game, which is very small compared to the Gold Edition of the game. The Gold Edition has voice acting better music or background sound or whatever the deal is and i think better anim you know animations you know transition scenes or whatever so i went back and played the dos version and the dos version booted up just fine you know got going just fine mm-hmm. very similar to the gold version um i survived a lot longer in wizardry 7 so i can see why the ladies prefer to start off with that one um i played a solid 30 minutes only had one person die which i reloaded for um just seems a little bit more friendly overall yeah you can save at any point you can rest at any point which comes in handy because you go through magic might just attack you while you're resting yes yes make sure you're you're still prepared for the occasional fight um but i didn't get interrupted too often while i was sleeping it didn't seem too bad in that regard both of those games especially wizardry 6 Wizardry 6 you need grid paper for, or a really good FAQ that already has it drawn out for you. Wizardry 7, from what I understand in reading, uh, doing some research, is there's supposed to be like a, an item somewhere that gives you some sort of auto map. You guys may want to write some more comments on our forums. Let me know what you think about that if you played before and got that map. I know the ladies could have told us if they were here. Um, otherwise, you're, go- you're going to get lost really quickly without some sort of grid or FAQ or something along those lines because it is very grid-based, and there's no there's no map right at the beginning, so that can be rather difficult. Um, um, but I can see why seven would be a definitely be a better starting point. Uh, six, uh, just oh, another thing about six is you're thrown right into a dungeon right away. Seven, you start in overland mode, which I mean they're both relative. They're still both kind of dungeon crawlery. And in Wizardry seven, you're on an overland. You're blocked by trees, you know, at the beginning, so you're you're still kind of feeling like you're confined. But boy, boy, six just is like you're in a dungeon and you're like, oh god, I'm surrounded by dangerous dungeon. And they don't they they, they kick your butt. So. Now, as I recall, earlier wizardries were even nastier. I've, I've heard that through the internet, which is you know always a reliable source, yeah. that uh, Wizardry Four is reputed to be among the most difficult RPGs ever made. Boy, yeah, I'm not super in, in which you play the villain of the first three games and. You actually can't level. You have set points at which you get stronger, and you have set resources, and you need to more or less rely on traps and rebuilding your strength somehow, and if you screw up at any point or another, uh, well, you're, you're a wizard, which means you're kind of fragile. Now, the one thing that you'll see, uh, you know, right away on these wizardry games, not only, yeah, like you said, they're they're difficult. I think they, my impression is they, they get kind of easier the, once you get past five, six, five and six, seven. Like I said, I didn't die playing 30 minutes. So uh, not that that's a really big depth of experience, but uh, I know people have actually beat seven, so it, it can't be impossible. Um, wizardry eight, I beat with no, not too much problem. I did die a few times, but uh, wizardry eight makes, makes it even easier. But these games, are all from uh, you know six seven and eight uh all have a lot of stat points uh that you will be putting points into or leveling up as you go along your characters are really deep uh the magic system for example you just don't have a pool of magic points you've got six different pools of magic points your access to those uh primarily depends on your class and that's why you may want a class change later to get access to more of them or different ones uh but you you know you do have this very deep uh magic system especially for uh, a DOS game 
uh, it's just you get a lot of information on the screen. And, I mean, when you look at an item, just uh, they've got a list of letters. When you look at when you examine an item, a list of letters showing you what classes are able and what races are able to use that item. And the list of classes, we, we each one just shows one letter representing a class. And there's like 15 letters in a row, <laughs> 16 letters. So I mean, there's there must be I think there's probably like 10 or 11 beginning classes you have access to, and then the later classes you unlock in true Dark Spire style. I don't know what's involved in unlocking those those classes. I didn't research that far, but um, in Wizardry. I don't remember it, remembering it being too difficult, but I may have FAQ'd it. <laughs> so, um, so then, yeah, it, it, with Wizardry Eight, you put enough time in there that it, the original way you solved it may have now been forgotten. So that it's yeah. just become second nature. You you know how to do it because you spent enough time with the game. Sure. And so when you jump, so when you experience six and seven, which I, I even if you don't really play all through those games, it's worth buying those just to look at the instruction books, uh, play them for a bit, and go, wow, this is what RPGs were back then. And and they are deep. If you want to put the time into them, you will. I mean, you're, you'll find a depth there that you haven't seen in you know RPGs in some time. But when you go to uh, eight. It's a world of difference. It is a huge step up. I find 6 and 7 hard to recommend to modern RP gamers because, uh, you know, going back with those clunky interfaces and graphics and sound is really hard to swallow. But Wizardry 8, even though it's early 3D polygon graphics, which I abhor to death, and it does, have, you know, it does show its age, most definitely. It looks like... Well, uh, let, let me... Is it better looking than Ultima Nine? Yes, <laughs> but that's not. Yeah, but I real I realize I just set the bar really low. Yeah, but Wizardry Eight, you can jump right oh, in. With... Also, does it crash? I didn't have it crash on me. I, I, I again, I think it beats Ultima Nine. There you go. But Wizardry Eight, you'll jump right into. Uh, you can jump right into it. Go in with the pre-gym party. You do still need to read over like the beginning of the instruction book that tells you how to deal with the controls. Um, the you know, but but you'll get right in. You'll start fighting, and I think Wizardry Eight is really cool because that you're just gaining points as you go along too. That morphine drip of you're always constantly your characters are always constantly improving somewhere really helps. And the more strategic battle system, and I've talked about this all before, so I won't draw it on about too long. But it, you can just tell. It's just such a huge step up from 7, and it's a shame that they didn't go on to make 9 and 10 using that formula, or better yet, improving you know, on that formula. If they made as, if they kept making the improvements they made from 6 to 7, then 7 to 8, and they continued that with 9, 10, and 11, it would, have been, it would have been really great to see where that series has gone. Instead, what we got is like Wizardry Class of Heroes on the PSP, the Wizardry games on the PlayStation 3 on the PSN network that have all gone yeah, back. a lot of J- Japanese-developed Wizardry games mm-hmm. that I gather more or less keep the the conventions of the gameplay, but interpreted from a Japanese standpoint. Right, and and unfortunately what they're doing is they're throwing away the progress that Wizardry 8 brings to the table. And I understand the power of nostalgia, but uh, Wizardry 8 did a really great job of building on that and evolving that nostalgia uh, so it was fresh, it was accessible to a modern audience, and yet still retained those qualities and, and to a degree that difficulty that the old school gamers uh, looked for. I mean, Wizardry 8 was just hands down just a, a much, much better experience and, and at the same time still a dungeon crawler, which, you know, eventually went the way of the dinosaur there after, you know, shortly after that. You don't see a lot of dungeon crawlers now. Um, it's a shame that those other Wizardry games that were Japanese developed didn't 
you know, build on that wizardry aid formula instead of going back to six and seven and just making it with some prettier graphics. But those PSP game, PlayStation Network games, still have the the deep, um, a lot of the uh, deep class mechanics and hidden classes and stuff that we all remember from Dark Spire. Um, but I remember playing wizardry. There's a wizardry game on the PlayStation too. I uh, the 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 Labyrinth of the Mad King or Lord or something along those lines. Good old fashioned grid based with traps and everything else. But but yeah, wizardry eight just beats all of them. I'm sorry. Go back and play wizardry. So yes, it's on GOG.com, ten but much cheaper than you can buy. I told y'all before it was worth it buying the disc. I mean, just a few weeks ago we were talking about this on my top ten list. So exciting! Gog obviously listens to us, Mike. Isn't this the second time that something came out after you and I gushed on it for a while? I mean, they listen to yes. our show. That sound. That's the I'm only. I can't remember what it was. That, that's the only conclusion is that they listen to our show. They listen to us. So, all right. Go Gog. Go Gog. Yeah, and go and support. Uh, definitely go and support uh, GOG and buy one or both those games or three games, whatever, and show them that you support their efforts to uh, get uh, these the, the good RPGs, anyways, uh, retrofitted uh, for the 21st century. So uh, accessible to the 21st century, I'd say. Right. I've been on my monologue box long enough, Mr. Minky. What's going on with you lately? Well, okay. I just reviewed something called The Lord of the Rings, The Third Age. But since I'll have a great deal to say about that with our next episode, I will save that for now. I reviewed Shining Soul 2 recently. Mm. Uh, it, yes, it does improve upon Shining Soul 1. That is not much of an achievement. It's rather like saying that a movie is better than one of Michael Bay's Transformers movies. Sure, it's it's easy to do, but it doesn't say a whole lot. Um, so Shining Soul 2... Uh, don't you just love games where the text advances automatically and you can't speed it up no matter what? Well, yeah, doesn't everybody? It, truly, because... Well, clearly Sega thought so, because... Oh, and this is the this is the best part. If you go through a dungeon again, because you know you might just want to, it's a dungeon crawler, so you might just want to get stronger. The game thinks that you're going through for the first time again, so that you get to experience all the plot points again with no change, complete with the dialogue advancing at its own lugubrious pace. Isn't that a good thing, Phil? Well, I'm excited. Uh, it's just in case you forgot the the truly riveting story of uh, there are a bunch of guys out there. They're called the Chaos Knights, and um, you don't need to remember that actually because only a couple of them ever talk about it, and they exist just to be killed and never mentioned again. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and there's a king, and you're the mute warrior who just shows up and is ID'd as really good for some reason. So. Guess what? You get to go kill it all. You get to go kill everything that's causing a problem because people have forgotten what light is and darkness is creeping back into the world and you're going to go stop it. Hmm. Truly, this is a riveting plot, the likes of which you have never heard before. Right, Phil? Oh, absolutely. Um, Again, though, it is better than Shining Soul 1 in that here's Shining Soul 1's plot. Uh, You are a soldier in an army. You never see the rest of the army. You get out there and you kill the entirety of the enemy force on your own while all of the other people in the army just sit around at the encampment and uh, talk to you and say things that really don't matter. That is all they do. Hmm. Oh, and these are GBA games, and they're equipped for multiplayer, which was a pain in the ass back then and is even more of a pain in the ass now because you've got to go find all those GBA link cables and multiple copies of the game, which I didn't do. 
So maybe it would have been a blast if I'd been with three other people and we had a whole bunch of link cables and extra GBAs. But uh, I got to tell you, playing this thing solo, not fun. Not fun. <laughs> Unless, of course, you happen to like the action RPG loot gathering type of game in which you just go through, kill everything in your in your path and keep doing it for 20, 25 floors in each dungeon. Hmm. So this is how Sega decided to bring back the Shining series. Uh, Sega, it's 10 years late, but what were you smoking? Why did you do this? What morons greenlit this crap? <laughs> uh, oh, and I, I also played Legend of Ligaya, Ligaya, which, you know, I on balance had fun with it. And that's saying something because it's a 1999 PlayStation RPG. But that's not to say that it doesn't have issues because it certainly does. It didn't look great then, and now I can appreciate that there's some effort put in, that your equipment makes you look different with each upgrade, that there are little details like your breath puffing out in cold areas, but you're still looking at some really jagged polygons. And often when you're going through the dungeons, you're going to wonder, what is that? Where am I? What is this thing? I legitimately do not know where I am except a dungeon because it's that that hard to fathom when I gaze at it. Uh, and we will we'll do a Legaya show in the future. I will have to play the sequel, which is either the th- a thing that people scorn and set down after less than an hour as absolute garbage, or seem to think, you know, that's kind of okay. So we'll see what I think on that. And does that cover... I don't remember if I mentioned the experience of playing Rhapsody on DS here. Mm. Is it, does this sound familiar, Phil? It does not. Rhapsody is a game that I feel, and I have plenty of evidence to support my thesis, should not have been a game. It should have been maybe an animated series, maybe a movie, maybe a book, but not a game. Because, <laughs> all right, you've got a story of a girl girl who falls in love with a prince and he gets turned to stone so she's got to go save him well that's vaguely like Mulan which was which was a fun movie and if we had just stuck to that maybe I would feel okay about it but no we, instead we've got to turn it into an RPG which means we got to go through some of the most boring dungeons ever which are seriously just a series of rooms with from one to four holes in them determining where you can move and boring, boring combat and a localization. And it's okay, but it sure doesn't make me forget how bored I am with the majority of the game. You know those games that you really don't need to care to worry about resource management because you can whack everything to death in a couple of turns and then heal yourself and you get completely healed with each level you gain and you gain a level about every 10 or 11 battles, so it happens frequently. Oh, yeah. That's Rhapsody. Woohoo! And, oh yeah, the encounter rate is way too high. Because, uh, look, when it takes you maybe three seconds to move across a room, and you're getting into a battle every two or three rooms, that's the encounter rate of Rhapsody. And it doesn't take long to kill things. At least, I'll give it that. The battles move fast. Because without that, I probably would have felt like taking a nap even more often than I did while playing it. <laughs> so if you if you seriously have problem with insomnia pick up rhapsody it's cheap and uh play it for a little while and once you get into a dungeon you're probably gonna think man my bed what a great thing this pillow oh man this this is so welcoming right now because rhapsody is giving me absolutely nothing that is 
engaging my attention in any way. <laughs> and okay, Phil, hmm. have you seen Star Trek Into Darkness yet? Nope. Okay. I will say that I enjoyed it, and I will also say that it blatantly references the Wrath of Khan. I don't think it was in a necessarily terrible way, but you're echoing a really, really good movie, and you don't necessarily deserve it, but I enjoyed it on the balance. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, uh, a number of criticisms against it. Yeah, it's gotten a whole lot of press, and... Honestly, I, I've read a lot of the criticisms, and I can't say that they're undeserved. I don't remember the Enterprise ever even going onto a planet. It always stayed in Earth. That was what the shuttlecraft were for. But here you see, oh, the Enterprise can be underwater. What? Well, get Seriously. out. Oh, no, that's always been a huge thing. Yeah, these, these, the, uh, that, oh, my gosh. No, they didn't. I mean, come on. I mean, that's like Star Trek lore 101. The ships, the, the problem, I mean, there's been so many shows where the ships, if they get too close to the atmosphere, they just begin to burn up and problems with that. Yeah, they're not, they're, they're not made for space. They're designed for space. They're not aerodynamic. They just don't do well once they hit the atmosphere. I mean, they just, they don't hold up well at all. I mean, gosh, the next generation, the whole saucer <laughs> section went crashing into the planet. It had, it couldn't pull yep. up. It, it just wasn't designed to be that close to the gravity. Um, yeah, That's what the shuttlecraft are the, for. The only, the only, um, another, the only precedent for that would be um, Voyager, uh, which was a smaller ship, um, specifically, you know, had that um, had that capability. They would go to yeah, but Voyager was set a good eighty, ninety years after the right. original series, and and this is even before the original series is set because we, they haven't started the five year mission yet. Yeah, so we're dealing with the original. NCC Enterprise when when it's brand new when it's only a year or two old and it's just being parked under the water. Yeah, that that's not good. Bad creative licensing. Bad. Um, and yeah, for the sake of an action sequence late in the movie, we have uh, apparently the artificial gravity of the Enterprise is just fleeing things to and fro and reversing itself all over the place. Because the Enterprise was known for that. Its artificial gravity would just cause you to fall off the railings and cause you to take a tight grip in a hallway as things flew by and smacked him in the head, right? Oh, jeez. You know, I, I you know, I always you know, I always thought it was funny. I mean, you saw so many times on the show and stuff where the Enterprise would get beat up pretty bad. I mean, everything would fail from, you know, life support to weapons to shields and everything else, but damn it, that that gravity was always there. That net gravity was always the last thing to go. I mean, Yeah, just... remember Star Trek 6 when the gravity did go, it went totally. Yeah, the, now those Klingons were floating. They were floating, right, cuz it's just shot. Yeah. I mean, unless you had a maybe a virus in the computer system, I don't see why it would just have you going bonkers all over the place. I mean, that was the, I mean, the thing about Star Trek was was that unlike Star Wars, everything happens for a reason, right? That's that's the whole deal. It's it's supposed to be science based. So, I mean, that's why, you know, in half the shows they're explaining, you know, at some point they would explain why XYZ happened. So you're not sitting there left scratching your head and you're like, oh, well, that's why. There was always a scientific explanation for everything. It would usually be full of techno babble, full of nouns that were just invented by the writers, but at least the effort was made. Right, exactly. So you're you're saying it wasn't made here, Mike. Well, I liked it on balance, but again – it's not classic Trek. Right. And 
And, that's, and I guess we can't have that anymore because you, classic uh, track. Oh, it's funny you should say that. It's funny you should say that, Mike. You might be wrong. What if, what if, I hope you're sitting down for this. What if I told you there was a way to have fresh, new, classic Star Trek? In novel form? No, in visual form. With audio, even. You talking about that Star Trek Online thing? Star Trek Online thing. No, no, I'm talking about like a show, not a video game. I'm listening. Okay, check it out. All, all you Trekkies, get your get your pens and papers ready. So I uh, so just to, and then we'll jump back to you in case you have more stuff, Mike. I don't want you to feel like I'm stealing your show here, but this is this, it. Just piggybacks so well on, on what you've brought up here. So um, I was so late in editing the show because I had to um, I had to run Pathfinder Society at Conduit here in Salt Lake City. It's a huge uh, sci-fi uh, anime type of, of expo. Well, huge isn't the right word. It's huge for Salt Lake. <laughs> well, you know, anyway. So that makes it how big by any other standards? By Orlando standards, it's minuscule. When we had like Megacon, it was taking up that huge convention hall. It must have been 20,000 people. I mean, you could barely get around in the common areas. I was so glad I was a vendor there and just hiding behind a table where I at least had space to move around. But um, to get in, in anyways, in Conduit, I I did do a quick walkthrough in between games and picked up some cards and looked something. I, I always like to see what people are doing, and so I go and look up their websites, and I found two very very interesting websites that are tight. They're, they're they're from the same company, so they are tied in together. Um, the first one that uh, that you'll want to look at is a website uh, f- uh, called uh, StarshipFarragut.DreamHost. Com. Now, I'll spell that in a minute, um, but you can just Google Starship Farragut, and that's F-A-R-R-A-G-U-T. Yeah, so F-A-R-R-A-G-U-T. Far-ra-gut. <laughs> um, so these guys, whoever they are, decided that somehow got their hands on the original Star Trek set, or a very good simile thereof, and they started doing the journeys of a different starship, the Farragut. Um, so it looks just like the original Enterprise from the original series, um, but it's with an entirely different crew. To They did three of those shows over the course of a number of years. Uh, I'm guessing it's pretty much an all-volunteer effort, uh, and for that, it's pretty well done. The first show is definitely super, super bad. I mean, like, super like super cheesy. The second one and the third one get better uh, as far as the technical effects go. They're, they even get, like, where – they even get a, a part where their version of the Enterprise, their Constitution-class starship, is fighting against a Romulan. It's all done with computer graphics, and it looks really – Nearly on par with the computer graphics you saw, maybe you know, Deep Space Nine or uh, Enterprise. It's just pretty well done, and and you are like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, blow them up, awesome. Go get those Romulans. It, it is, it is just done. It is is just done really, really well. The the acting in Farragut, you're not gonna write home about it, but um, they they do the best of what they're given. Some 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 you'll notice one of the first things you'll notice, of course, is that the the, the crew of the Starship Farragut aren't quite on the same diet and exercise exercise program as the people on the starship enterprise <laughs> just just saying um it's really hilarious in like one episode one of the key officers uh between the two episodes i won't mention who or what it is i don't want to make you know but they clearly put on a little bit of weight uh 
<laughs> but but with that being said, I mean these guys have just done. I mean the costumes are spot on. They they do have different emblems, um, but uh, but they still got the engineering symbol and the the command symbol and the such that you're used to seeing. Uh, great costume pieces, great set. Uh, the gun, the phasers, everything is just you know everything else is just uh, spot on. And for the most part, they do a really excellent job. Now, as if that wasn't enough, they actually made two cartoons in the exact same vein as the uh, 60 cartoons that followed the original Star Trek series with the same style of animation, music, the whole nine yards. I, I mean, I, I I got the whole series and they did such a great job of capturing the original uh, cartoon series. It is great. They So they got three full shows, two full cartoons, and about, I think it was like three or four short, uh, I forget what they call them, vinaigrettes or something like that, vignettes or you probably, yes, thank you, you would know what the term is. Now, as if that wasn't enough, as you might remember from the original series, uh, Captain Kirk would start off every show saying that the, uh, you know this is the Voyage of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission is to explore strange new worlds. Well, they only did three seasons, of course, as everyone knows, of the original series. They started a new effort to pick the fourth season up, an unofficial fourth season. And you can find that by Googling Star Trek Continues. And... Um, uh, Star, not Star Trek Convention. That, that just pulled up on my Google. But if you just Google Star Trek Continues, it's StarTrekContinues.com, and that one's a little bit easier to spell out. That just pretty much works the way it sounds. They've got an entirely new cast, of course. Pay, uh, and I think I just had some teleporter hit the recording. But they've got a new cast playing playing the um, playing the Enterprise crew. You got a different guy playing Spock, Kirk. Of course, they're all really old by now. And the guy who does Kirk. He's got he's got him pretty well down. He's he 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 does a good job of toning it down just enough to where he's not quite as irritating as the original Kirk. But yeah, and he does the he there's even a scene where he's got his shirt off in front of a woman. I mean, it's classic Captain James T Kirk. Um it's what he did. It's what he did. I mean, he's just kind of a womanizer. They've only got one episode up, but they capture a lot of the essence of of Star Trek. And what's really cool is in that first uh that first ep- uh, the first episode they got up, which just went up not that long ago. It's called Pilgrim of Eternity. And up if you remember the episode with Apollo, he returns. Uh the the synopsis says Apollo's returns to wreck havoc on Kirk and the Enterprise in the first episode of this new series. And what's really cool is the actor who plays Apollo was the original actor. He's obviously older now and it fits into the storyline really well of why he's older. Uh, And that's important because he was a god. Um, or deity, or at least a self-proclaimed deity, uh, styled after Apollo. So you'll want to check it out. I mean, and they got also got another, they've also got uh, three of those vignettes. Um, I watched one of them where the uh, less senior officers are playing around the captain's chair. It was really hilarious, <laughs> just really well done. Uh, you got to check them. Out. I mean, these guys have just done a, a great job. It's not one hundred percent, but it's bloody close. Uh, some of the actors are who fill in for. Uh, the original crew um, kind of miss it a little bit, but uh, but Kirk gets it down really well. There was enough interaction on Spock for me to really get get a good evaluation on how well he does. He's also slightly different ethnicity. He almost he looks kind of Asian or something. Um, the doctor uh, Doctor McCoy didn't quite get down the McCoy. Scotty's done really well. Scotty is actually kind of a main character in this episode. He's he's got a focus here as the voice of dissent, and uh, and he comes across pretty well. Chekhov and Sulu don't say a whole lot, but they get down their characters. You can see them in the vignette. Uh, you've got the 
Khan um, with Ahura. So go and check it out. Star Trek continues. If you're looking, if you if you're if you're like, man, this this new Star Trek on the big screen is just not me. There's not enough explanation. There's boy, let me tell you what the the uh, Starship Farragut and Star Trek continues is all about talking heads the way you're used to seeing them. And as an added bonus, when there is the occasional fight, you actually get to see the unlike the original show, you'll actually get to see the Enterprise really doing a great job firing those phasers, getting chunks blown off of it, uh, and and the such. The computer graphics are really well done. So. Okay. Well, sorry, I had to get that plug in there. That's what I was doing when I should have been editing the podcast. I was watching <laughs> Star. I was so fascinated. I'm sorry, I should have had the podcast edited earlier. But once I got my hands on Star Trek Continuous and Starship Farragut, I had to watch it all. And that second show of Starship Farragut is like 89 minutes or so. It could have been a movie. So yeah, go and go and check this. The third show is only 40 minutes, which is probably better that they learn to trim those down and edit those a bit. Uh, but definitely lots of talking heads, explanations, and some decent stories in them. Okay, so did you have more okay. stuff to say? <laughs> yeah, I'll I, say a little more. Since I stole your floor. Phil, you know who Robert Duvall is, right? Nope. I've heard the name before. You have to okay. remind me. Um, well, he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, Godfather? Oh, okay. Uh, well, let's see. You saw uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Nope. Okay. I won't, I won't go through the whole list then, because he's been in a lot of stuff. But if you just want to see a movie where Robert Duvall gets to kick some ass, it's you'll see up. the outfit. Oh, yeah, I like kick, ass-kicking. Where pretty early on, some guy tries to kill him. Robert Duvall gets the drop on this guy immediately. And there's, then there's a woman, Karen Black, saying, Don't hurt him anymore. Robert Duvall responds, This guy tried to kill me. I'll hurt him as much as I want. Slams his head into the wall. Because that's entirely reasonable, I'd say. This guy did just try to kill him. Hmm, sounds reasonable to me. Um, that's that's really the short, the gist of it. I could go into greater length about how and exactly why he's he's kicking some ass, but it's Robert Duvall does a great job of kicking ass, and this is a fun movie. Go see it. Um, lots of other stuff I've seen lately. Oh, Our Man in Havana. I will give that a big plug because it's not too well known, and Alec Guinness is awesome, and it's a silly movie in spots because he is propositioned by some guy who couldn't be more obviously a spy if he had a big neon blinker on his back just i'm i'm running i'm running the water in the bathroom so that the mics are confused someone's coming in get in the stall right now we can't yeah. be seen together yeah. and this guy offers Alec Guinness uh, you'll you'll get 150 bucks a month uh, keep in mind this was made in in the late 50s so 150 bucks a month went a lot further especially in Cuba and Alkins needs the money, so he'll be the top spy of the of MI6 in Cuba. And his job is to go get subordinate spies and to come up with things to report. So, since he's a vacuum cleaner salesman, he comes up with these interesting drawings that suspiciously resemble vacuum cleaners of things, devices found in the snow-topped mountains of Cuba, which everyone knows exist. Mm-hmm. And well, his bosses fall for it hook, line, and sinker, and they decide our agent. In- our man in Havana is doing the best job of anyone we've got. Clearly, we need to support him further. Send him everything we've got, and so he gets. A, and so he gets Maureen O'Hara as his secretary, which is just fine with me. Maureen O'Hara, she might still be a fox. She's still alive. She always was a fox. And eventually, it does get somewhat serious when just because he made up everything doesn't mean that everyone thinks he made it up. So someone is trying to kill him. He takes that seriously. Most people would. I recommend it as a funny movie for the most part, and. When it gets serious, it earns it. And, oh, I will cite Videodrome, which is damn weird, but I haven't forgotten it. If you ever want to see James Woods, 
with a gigantic orifice that, yeah, it kind of looks like a vagina in his belly, into which video cassettes are inserted. Nice. And, uh, yeah, these video cassettes also pulse as if they had a heart inside of them. Okay, that's not creepy. And the title comes from an underground a pirate television signal in the early 80s that he watches, and it involves what appears to be simulated acts of acts of torture and death, which in fact are not simulated. And the Videodrome produces a signal, which uh, maybe it makes a new organ in you, maybe it just gives you a tumor. Either way, you watch Videodrome, you're going to die soon. And... Once you once you have seen enough of video drum to get either the tumor or the organ inside of you, you start seeing interesting things. And you also if you're James Woods and thus the head of the partial head of a television station called Civic TV, which broadcasts pretty much nothing but smut, you might just get video cassettes inserted inside of you that give you orders to kill people who have been against you. Uh I'm not gonna claim that the plot entirely makes sense because it's very weird, but it's also very distinct. You will not mistake this for anything else after you see it. And James Woods is awesome. <laughs> okay, I, I'll I'll stop it there because otherwise I'd have to go on and talk about how. Actually, you know what? I will talk about Home Fries because that movie sucks. <sighs> okay, Phil, hmm. how how likely do you think it is that military helicopters can easily be taken away from their bases and have their ammunition exchange di- discharged, even if it's blank? Yeah, you know, I think it happens all the time. I mean, just look at the newspaper. You gotta say today, man, it's just it's like every other week, the military just out of control. You know, you're absolutely right. That that makes the entire plot of this, which is that a man has been having an affair with Drew Barrymore, and he he is the father of her baby, and well, his two stepsons go out and take the military helicopter out and discharge some blank rounds at him, and what do you know, he has a heart attack and dies. Because their mom told him to. Mm, of course. Because she knew what was going on. She was not happy about it at all. But this military helicopter uses such a crappy signal that their their communications inside of the helicopter were being heard on the headsets used at a fast food restaurant in the area. <laughs> so uh, Luke Wilson has to go over there and get a job at the place to find out what, if anything, the people working at that fast food place know. Oh, and his brother is Jake Busey, who is Jake Busey. Terminal frat boy. Uh, and so Luke Wilson gets to have funny times working at the fast food restaurant, like getting dressed up as the mascot and getting stuck in the freezer so that Drew Barrymore's dad, who has come in with a shotgun and is holding everybody hostage for, I don't know, because so, when he drinks, he gets troublesome. Uh, Luke Wilson can save the day. And, uh, oh, her dad, her dad's gun actually wasn't loaded because he's really a nice guy and he wouldn't do anything crazy like load a gun before he holds up a restaurant. No, that, that would be really crazy. Huh. Oh, and he gets out of the, he gets out of the police station the same day, released to home custody because police do that. They release guys who make hostage situations the same day. Oh yeah, of course. And what, wouldn't you know it? Luke Wilson and Drew Barrymore, they're falling for each other. Even though, I don't know if I'd buy them as brother and sister. They really don't seem to care much about each other. And that brings up a very creepy aspect because Luke Wilson is the stepson of the man she was just boinking. Which, uh, the movie doesn't explore a whole lot. Probably because there's no real way to make that palatable. (laughs) And then the climax involves a bunch of stupid crap. Jake Busey goes crazy and gets the helicopter out again and 
flies all over the hell flies all over the highway system chasing his brother and Drew and occasionally shooting at them and you know I I think it's just that I had a credibility problem with pretty much everything and you know with a romantic comedy which I think this is trying to be even in between all of the killing people and breaking out the military hardware you kind of expect a romantic comedy to have a good pair and it doesn't okay that's enough Hmm. Well, I pretty much talked about what I kind of did as well. Uh, I'm still working my way slowly through Fire Emblem. Uh, I'm walking around with the misses and stuff. Still finding that pretty satisfying and compelling. Um, still need to dive further into Shimigama Tensei Strange Journey. Uh, I, I, that, I don't know if I'm on the last dungeon or not, but man, this dungeon is long that I'm in. Are you going to get Shin Megami Tensei 4? Yeah, I've got it on pre-order. Yeah. Because I'm a glutton for punishment, I suppose. And yeah, that's that's all on Amazon. i got a couple of games on pre-order. But it's all hand... It's really all handheld stuff if it's not... If it's not on the computer or on the iPad. I don't see anything... Well, no, there's some PlayStation 3 stuff coming out. I'm, I'm wrong. But I... Yeah, the 360, though, there's... Oh, my gosh. Well, I, know, I know you don't own a 360, but that thing... Again, it's it's uh, just a goddamn. It's it's almost eight years old now. It is at the end of its life cycle, and and I was just talking this over with a friend from an RPG perspective. Uh, you know, uh, it's the only console I don't own. So I took a look at its library and said, you know, does this does its library of games that appeal to me, which are more strategy and RPG in nature? Uh, Gosh, Phil, you, you mean you don't want the only way you can play Fable Two? And you know, Fable Two just not enough. I mean. Uh, how about Operation Darkness? You know, for some reason, that one slipped underneath my radar and still is underneath the radar. How about Infinite Undiscovery? You know, I think it's infinitely out there in left field. Um. Uh, oh, I wait, wait. Mass Effect One is on the PC, so yes, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not an X360 exclusive. Last um, Last Remnants on the PC. Uh, got that on. And, the PC. and I gather that the Last Remnant PC version is superior. So it is. So no reason, no reason to go back and. They're, they're, yeah, one of my favorite games, I, I think I've mentioned on the show before, but uh, one of my favorite games on PlayStation 2 is Coldcept, the combination oh, of... Phil Blue Dragon! Okay, I didn't know about that. Okay, hold on, going to go to my 360 now. Got to have my blue... Just, no, no, that's not happening. Uh, but Coldcept Cold uh, Saga's on the Lost Xbox... Lost Odyssey? Yeah, Coldcept Saga's on the Xbox 360. If you got a 360, I highly recommend it because the Coldcept on the PlayStation 2 is great, and Coldcept Saga on the Xbox 360 is more of the same, just a little better, not much, but uh, it's that's because it's already so good. Combination of Magic the Gathering and, and Monopoly, Peanut Butter and Jelly, boys and girls, go out and get it. Write me if you want more information, but it's really awesome. Um... So yeah, 360, not a whole lot on there. They're talking about next generation. They've, they've announced the PlayStation 4, uh, the Xbox One, which is just getting reamed by serious gamers anyways with their um, constantly needing to check online every 24 hours or something along those lines. Looks like it's, uh, it looks like it's kind of like a Steam box deal. I mean, you're going to have an account and you're buying games that tie into your account. If you buy a disc, it still ties into your account. You can't just give the get disc to your friend. If, if he does, it, it kind of works like a Steam game. I mean, I can give... I mean, and in fact, um, what was it? Lost Odyssey I just mentioned? Or... No, Last Remnant. Last Remnant's yeah. a really great example. Last Remnant is the game that forced me into 
Steam because at the time that I bought it, which was years ago, I was anti-Steam. And I installed it, didn't realize that it was a Steam-only game. Uh, must, must have missed the small print on the box. So I installed it off the disc, but then it makes me tie it into a Steam account. So against my desires, I went ahead and did that because otherwise I would just wasted $40. Uh, so now I can download and play that game anywhere on Steam. I can install that game off a disc and it still needed time to a Steam account, which I have. Now I can give that disc to a friend and he can install the game, but until he ties it into a Steam account, it won't activate, it won't work. So that's from what I understand the way Xbox uh, One is going to work. And that means that in order to activate that game like you would activate on Steam, you have to buy a copy. So the idea that, hey, Mike, I'm done playing this RPG. I'm going to send it to you. Well, that won't work with Xbox One no, no more than it would work on Steam. My biggest problem – now, now in this day and age, everyone knows I'm a, I'm a fan of Steam. I'm a, big, a much bigger fan of services like GOG, which have no copy protection. But I think most of us have come to accept Steam. And, and, but one of the biggest reasons why is because Steam has awesome sales. You don't feel so bad about a game that you can't lend to your friend when you're done with it when you got it's it for fine. seven. Yeah, when you got it for 75% off the the normal retail price. I got Borderlands 2. Somebody mentioned on forums, thank you whoever did that. I forget who it was, but thank you because I went and I grabbed it. I went ahead and bought the four back for some of my friends who I know are into that sort of thing. And I ended up getting four copies of the game for like 40, 45 bucks. That's 10 bucks a pop. So, I mean, I could have bought the disc for 40 bucks on my PlayStation 3 and just handed it around when I was done playing it. But with Steam, it's better because I bought four copies of the game for that 40 bucks, which means all four of them can play online at the same time with Steam. So I think we've all come to love Steam because of that business model that's set up. If you, if you want the game right away, of course, you're going to pay full price. But if you wait for a, a sale, you're going to pay a lot less. And so if it's tied into your account, it's not such a big deal. Not to mention their services got very little downtime in the whole nine yards. But yeah, with Xbox One, good luck. You're not going to see the sales that you see on Steam on Xbox One. You're not going to see retail games for 75% off and the such. It's just, it, it, you know, it's not like that now on the Xbox uh, Live or on the PlayStation Network. You very rarely see sales on them, and they're they're much more minuscule. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 the and you never hardly ever see those those sales on retail games. They're mostly on the smaller the smaller games. So not yep. very excited about this next generation making, especially on the Xbox, which I've never been a you know Microsoft console fan. I'm sticking with my Microsoft operating systems on my custom computers because that's what they're best at. Yeah, Microsoft's had plenty of practice with Windows by now. Yeah. So clearly Windows 8 is a good thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. Windows 8's eight, well, but Windows 8 is more of a happiness issue as far as a uh, you know because of the interface not being what people are used to. Um, well, I don't have a touch screen, so I don't. Yeah. Well, then again, I've got Windows 7, and I'm sticking with it. But for but as far as from what I understand, as far as an operating system goes, and as far as playing games and such on it, I think it from what I understand, it's working pretty good. It, it's just people aren't a big fan of the whole interface and the such. And the rumor is is that the the next big patch or version or whatever of Windows 8.1 or whatever they're coming out with will um, revert it back to the older interface. There have been uh, there has been for some time uh, Stardock, I believe is the name of the company, but there's a number of companies out there like Stardock. 
product that have released like five ten dollar programs that essentially restore or change your Windows 8 and restore the Windows 7 interface that you're used to having. So if you're really having a canary, uh, which I probably would if I were you too, if I had Windows 8. That's why I never jump on a Windows operating system. But mm-hmm. uh, you can let Microsoft work out the bugs first. Yeah, exactly. And Windows Windows 8 is pretty solid from the bug standpoint. It was really from everything that I've read. It's really the interface that's driving people crazy. So wait for the patch or just spend five bucks. And I mean, anybody can tell me if they had any problems running games that they couldn't that they could run on seven that they couldn't run on eight. But I've not seen any such reports. Um, so Windows seven and now for a retro gaming standpoint, Windows seven does not like uh, retro games as much as XP does, and that's why I'm still using XP on my main rig. I do have seven on my laptop. Most of the GOG GOG retro games work okay on seven, uh, but you'll you will find a number of them that do not work. But GOG is very good on their product pages of showing you which of their games work on uh, seven, which ones don't. Uh, Steam also shows you uh, what versions of Windows their their uh, things are working with, but you got to dig a little hard to find them. And I'm not sure if they went back and updated all their back catalog of older games to properly reflect, you know, and tested them to see whether or not they worked in seven or not. So I know GOG has been doing that because uh, they're that's that's their whole shtick is having a library of old games that works. So they've been going back and, and playing them in Windows seven and, and adjusting DOSBox or whatever in order to work in seven where necessary. Um. But oh, one uh, oh, record of Agarest War or three sixty exclusives for you, Phil. I think mm, I thought that came out on something else. Well, there. How many record of Agarest Wars are there now? I know, right? I that's that's the only that's the doubt in my voice because <laughs> I, have, I know I know there are three hyperdimension Neptunias now. Ugh, man, I wish I never beat that one. I wish I could take back those hours of my life. Do not play, boys and girls, do not play anything with hyperdimension in its name. It may look like a cute concept, but trust me, it's terrible execution. No, I can I can come up with a, an exception to that rule, but it has nothing to do with uh, whatever that is. It's nothing RPG. It's a Dragon Ball Z fighting game from 1996. Mm. Uh, so if you want a fighting game, that's actually a pretty good one. Ah. Uh, if any of you are farting around on World of Warcraft, I do fart around on that from time to time. So shoot me off a, a message or a tweet or uh, friend me or something or rather so we can hook up in WoW at some point. Because I've been running dungeons and lately been running scenarios, which are really, really cute. I have to admit, that's, that, those are fun. Um, but uh, other than that, <sighs> Wizardry. Awesome. Man, it's so hard not to go back and play right now. Wizardry 8. Man, good stuff. Little crabs surround you. They're so cute. Almost as cute as RPG Backtrack, which is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. So check us out. We have a Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash RPGamer. We have a Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash RPGamer. You can follow me directly at uh, twitter.com slash jcservant. As some of our other friends have done, write me your comments at JC Servant. Be happy to look those up and write back to you. Um, thank you again for Sam, Mr. Avs, Mr. Mickey, who puts us together. Without him, this would not happen. And write us on our boards. Go to rpgamer.com, click on the forums link on the left-hand side, and leave us comments. You can review all of our, or listen, download, and listen to all of our previous shows, all at rpgamer.com. Also found that little left-hand bar with all the links on it. It says RPG Backtrack. You can check those out. A little bit further down, you can listen to our sister show, the RPG Cast, which records nearly every week, so they've got a lot more shows up than we do. But you can listen to all of that at rpgamer.com and uh, find all those comment links right next to it. 
Mr. Minky, would you like to put us to sleep? I actually will put us to sleep with a question directed at you, Phil, which uh, occurred to me a little too late for inclusion in this episode, but since our Tonelico characters are in it, should we have talked about Cross Edge tonight? No, 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 there's never a good time to talk about Cross Edge. So you would say that Cross Edge is indeed the worst Artanelico product. Oh my gosh. Because they're, they're in the game. Uh, don't do it, Minky. Just say no. Uh, on this unexpectedly sober, little, perhaps even frightening note, uh, the, all the Artanelico games we did talk about are better than Cross Edge. Oh, <laughs>